Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, there's been so much stuff flying back and forth here. I almost didn't get my, 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 my big stretch in before the show. I don't know what, whatever rituals other radio hosts do, but uh, with me, just a big stretch. It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, sit down, adjust the chair. Uh, which sometimes needs more adjusting, apparently, uh, and get going. Um, <laughs> it suddenly occurred to me that the times are very similar to the times of our, uh, of our colonization and war for independence, in that the, the federal government seeks to make the states basically colonies again. That's why I wrote the article, The Nation of Government. I might actually read that today. You know, that's not a bad idea. I've got some time. Well, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I've got an interview that I, that I have uh, scheduled for later. So let me put, uh, put that down here. The Nation of Government. I wonder if I ever did read that on the air. Anyway, Nation of Government. The most popular article on Substack because what it does, and that's at gregpenglis.substack.com, because what it does is it uh, describes Washington, D.C. as its own country, and an oppressive country, much like uh, England was. You know, back during George the uh, Third in the 1700s, in that the uh, the colonial powers uh, were or the colonies were regulated by England, and so they had their own governors and they had their own you know uh, whatever administrators there were, generals, things like that. Basically, you know, tried to run the colony. And the rebels, of course, I would have been one of them. Um, and if I wasn't hanged, <laughs> I'd be uh, you know with musket in hand and and doing or do, probably doing what I do now, uh, or doing what Thomas Paine did, which is be a writer. And so, yeah, although I could shoot a rifle pretty well, uh, I'm probably not, you know, best suited for uh, combat compared to a lot of other folks. So because I've never been an athlete, never been, you know, particularly coordinated for a lot of stuff, although I do shoot rather well, uh, have competed, it's been kind of interesting. However, with me, the, the real battle is not with uh, bullets, uh, and it's not even with ballots, it's with bills. And so my chosen weapon is citizen legislation, and my chosen uh, technology is the computer. You know, social media, uh, radio, and, and so this is this is what this is what I bring to this battle for our survival, uh, and that's really what it's come to, is that we are in a battle for our survival, and you look at just what happened what happened in Congress last night, and there's every evidence to prove that these people have no relationship to we the people, they have no clue or even care the slightest about the Constitution, they have no sense of judgment or care. It's almost it's almost psychopathic. Uh, an almost psychopathic addiction to spending, and this delusion, this incredible delusion that they can, they can, you know, spend us into, uh, they can just keep spending, they can just keep borrowing. There's, there's no end to it. I mean, it's like those folks that mistakenly believed, you know, that when they bought houses in 2003, <laughs> you know, it's going to go up. You know, 2005. Yep, more people bought houses. So it's going to go up. Houses always go up. You buy a house now, it doesn't matter how much you pay for it. It's going to go up. You're, you're going to get your money back. 2008, of course, the market crashed, right? Stock market crash in 1929. The housing market crashed in 2008 because of mostly because of government policies. Government policies are always responsible for these things, and so government's about to do it again. Government's it's heading us into economic suicide because people can vote for uh, tax an unlimited amount of taxpayers' money. So uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, she used to say that uh, socialism socialism works until you run out of other people's money. Right. Well, in this case. Uh, they're going to run out of everybody's money. <laughs> there, there, will, there will be no money left in this country uh, if the Congress goes on, on its uh, particular course. And so the vote was uh, 300 and some odd Democrats and Republican you know, traders to about 100 and some odd uh, you know, decent folks. 
And let me see if I can, I've got it here somewhere. Uh, my many, my many, many things. Where, where did I put it? Let's see where I put it. Uh, no, okay. Uh, no, that's not where it is. You know, you'd think I'd be more organized, but nah, it's no fun. I try to get organized, but what's the point of that? Uh, it's a public convention. Who decides to put some money? Okay, I know what that one is now. Uh, my constitutional amendment is stronger now. Uh, I actually rewrote my constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, and it's a lot stronger. And it, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second here. The crisis of I guess I don't have it. Um, okay, uh, I, I know it's posted on the election, uh, action radio, election integrity. Uh, thing, but it was about two thirds to one third, so it's about uh, three hundred, you know, and fifty to about hundred. How many Congress people are there? Four hundred thirty-five. So it's about three hundred to say one hundred fifty. Roughly, that's what it is. It's a little bit more than that, but give or take. So it's about two thirds voted for economic suicide and one third voted against economic suicide. And what's so insane about this? What makes this so psychopathic um, is that they're arguing that how much money they're saving. <laughs> Okay, they're actually. I was watching this last night on on One American News and, and Newsmax, and they're actually arguing how much money they're saving. I mean, this is irrational. We're saving money. We're being fiscally responsible as they take all the debt ceiling limits off. I mean, initially they say four trillion for I guess what you know, the next couple of years, but uh, there is no ceiling. I mean, so I don't know what the truth is, but I'm going to go with the, the worst case scenario. There's no debt. There's no debt ceiling now. They can spend as much as they can print and borrow, or as a borrow and print. However, it works. That's irrational because you know that every time they spend more money uh, and create more money, the, it causes inflation. So inflation, they've just, this is the inflation uh, acceleration bill. This is, like, uh, this is like the inflation afterburner bill. <laughs> you, know, you know how an afterburner works in a jet, right? You know, all the flames come pouring out the back. Well, you take, um, take a normal jet engine. And it, uh, it, it actually adds fuel to air racing through it. So you've got to start the air racing through, right? So the engine, jet engines work back to front. It's kind of, kind of like Congress. So you send fuel and air, uh, you mix them together, and they combust in the back of the jet, and that turns the turbines. Well, the turbines pull the, you know, turn the compressor blades up front, which pull in more air. So the more air and fuel you can put in at the back of the engine uh, to turn the turbines, the more air you can pull in up front, which means the more fuel you can mix with it, which means the greater your combustion, and away you go. Okay, um, that fuel-air mixture, you know, gets burned a second time when they add fuel a second time, so they actually burn it again, uh, and that's when those huge, you know, flames come, you know, screaming out of the jet, and it, it's like doubling your power. It's like adding nitro uh, or nitrous, whatever it is, to to a car, and off it goes. Yeah, well, that's what they're doing here. So by taking off the debt ceiling or any pretense thereof, they basically this is the afterburner. And so they were, they were already racing at jet speed. You know, now, now they're in hyper jet speed. Now they're supersonic, racing to headlong economic destruction while, while making, um, you know, pontificating statements about how wonderful this is, how they're saving money. I mean, they're, 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 they've lost it. They're nuts unless they're all on some kind of brain chip uh, or they go through. Uh, maybe they uh, talk about the blue pill. They, they've got to be on LSD. They've got to be on some drug. I don't know what the drug is. You know, so there's some, probably some kind of mind control drug that the CIA has put into their heads. Or it's probably in their in their coffee at the uh, you know at the the Senate and House cafeterias, right? Which which basically takes away their power to think, takes away their power to reason, takes away their power to to have a soul or a conscience or any shred of humanity, and allows them to lie like a psychopath. It's the same drugs that uh, Dr. Fascist is on, or maybe he just is a psychopath and he just naturally lies. Uh, I don't think everybody in Congress is a psychopath, but they're behaving like psychopaths. So it's collective. So you want to talk about mass psychosis. There's a mass psychosis in Congress going on now, thinking that, well, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we won't meet our obligations, knowing full well, knowing damn well that they made obligations that uh, couldn't be met under the current debt ceiling. 
That's the big lie. So this, this is going on, right? So we'll be tackling this more and more uh, as time goes on. I was going to get to the, the crisis by Thomas Paine. Trust me, I'll get to that. Let me just um, give you uh, my latest on my, uh, my new bill. And so this one, oh, I got birthright citizenship. That's for next week. <laughs> That's going to be really fun. Uh, we'll take on that one. You know, I've got Elon Musk. I've got first few years. Ventilator death cover up. Absence of honor. Thomas Paine. Yeah, that's gonna be the first one I'll do. Right, let me see if I can find where did I put my debt ceiling. Where is the debt ceiling? Oh, that's not there. Pretty soon I'll memorize you know, what my articles are, and I'll be in a lot better shape. But until then, we just kind of ramble around. Ah, here we go. So I found it under my you know who decides to print the money thing. All right. So the 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 original amendment was was pretty simple and said something to the effect of um, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2, to borrow money on the credit of the United States, you know, is deleted. Okay? Um, so we get rid of that one. We just strike that clause. And then I had a Clause 1. Let me scroll down to my comments here, which said, and Congress have, uh, and we're at the end of Clause 1 of Article 1, Section 8, I said, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money in excess of revenues. Well, that was kind of my whole point was that they couldn't print extra money. Well, given what's going on in Congress right now, and given the fact that I looked how they actually did print money, I thought, you know what, I can, I can make this stronger. Um, so what I actually did was wrote a bill that gets rid of the Fed, <laughs> gets rid of the ability to print money. Well, you, you'll hear it. It says Article uh, Section Eight, Clause One, shall be amended by adding a date, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses, nor authorize to the purchase or holding of securities. That means that that's how they used to, that's how they make fake money, right? So this takes out their ability to make fake money, nor to authorize or permit any central bank that basically removes the Fed, nor to allow any control of money beyond Congress. Well, that takes out any international organizations, you know, treaty stuff, things like that. Um, so it's a lot stronger. Then it said this amendment shall take effect immediately upon ratification. So as soon as this is passed, Congress stops borrowing. Now, I'm hoping to get this to the Trump administration. I'm hoping to get uh, Matt Gates interested. He certainly has – his staff has the bill. So I'm hoping to start generating stuff. And I know what's going to happen. I mean, I already know because I've heard it so many times before. Oh, that'll never pass. Okay, go ahead. Surrender. You know, I don't need you. <laughs> you know, if you're going to surrender that fast, I don't need you. You're of no use to me. You're of no use to this country. You're of no use to freedom. You're of no use to anybody. So just go ahead and, you know, get your beer and watch your sports and uh, shut the hell up. I don't need you. You know, I'm not looking for those folks. Those folks are not going to help us. So anybody that says, well, do you have got any bills passed yet? Uh, no, because you and millions like you didn't share them. You know, that's a simple answer. Well, you know, or, or this, the, the, they'll, never, they'll, never, uh, uh, they'll never pass that. You know, I'm not asking Congress at this point to pass this. I want millions of people to tell Congress to pass that. The nice guy is over. The nice guy is done. The nice guy, the nice Greg Congress, <laughs> was around during um, the Trump administration. You know, when I thought we had representative government, and I thought, okay, great, this is this is a good opportunity. Uh, we can we can submit our bills to Congress. You know, we can debate them, we can talk about things, and we'll we'll try and persuade them to pass them. Okay, that that was the nice guy. That nice guy has gone. Our government was stolen. We are under a coup. We are under a, a dictatorship. We are under an illegal government. They are passing orders that they cannot pass. So the nice guy's gone. Now I'm going to tell him. Okay, so I've gone from well, we better uh, you know let, let's let's talk about this you know nice and civil terms. They no. We're going to take away your power to borrow money. And that is the only way out of this because these people are psychopaths. And the only way you deal with a psychopath is you tell them. <laughs> you don't ask them. And so we're going to take the congressional psychopaths. And, um, you know, and again, this is still a republic, so I still have laws and I still have a constitution. Then we're going to follow the constitutional procedure. I need to say that every time just in case anybody doubts me. Uh, but it's true, though. 
uh, I want to follow the constitutional constitutional procedure, but I also want millions of people to stand up, you know, like um, Peter Finch and, and Network and say, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. You need to stand, you need to get mad. You need to get mad and say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And what you're going to do is you're going to uh, broadcast uh, all over the place. So every friend, uh, all through social media, uh, all media, you're going to call the talk shows and you're going to say, I want Congress to stop borrowing money. All right. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And I want Congress to stop borrowing money. That's what you need to do. So if anybody calls this or anybody that uh, hops on live chat, you know, I want you to say, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I want Congress to stop borrowing money. That's our new mantra. I'm going to put that on Facebook too. <laughs> I kind of like that. Look at my notes here. Hang on. Let's rearrange my desk a little bit. I, you know, by the end of the week, I get so casual. I, you know, I, I, just, I just start the show and just start talking. So Monday's really planned because I haven't done radio for a couple of days. So Monday I actually plan out and you know, put a schedule and take all kinds of notes. By Thursday, I'm like, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Let's just start talking and see what happens, uh, which is much more interesting, I think. Uh, this being June 1st. June 1st. June 1st. Well, and we had May Day, which is, which is the Communist Revolution. I don't know what June is. What, June Brides? It's time for you all to get married? Six, one, twenty-three. So we're going to have my new mantra. Mad as hell. As hell. Do dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I'll remember the rest of it. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I want Congress to stop borrowing money. Because the minute we stop Congress borrowing money, everything changes. Literally everything changes. So the country's being divided up not only into uh, those that want absolute communism and those that want freedom, uh, it's being uh, div- the freedom group is being divided up into those that will actually do something about it and those who have already surrendered. So what I'm going to try and find out, I have a press release ready to go. Uh, I'm going to see what the Senate does if the Senate votes today, which they probably will. Uh, if the Senate votes to pass the, uh, uh, the illegal deal, which they probably will, then the press release goes right out. <laughs> and it's, it's got a very clear statement on it. You know, are you part of the surrender group or are you going to help me fight? And I'm going to ask people to stand up and be counted. And I'm going to put a team together. A team of fighters. This will be the, uh, you know, the uh, ending borrowing coalition or the Congressional Control Coalition, the CCC, <laughs> Congressional Control Coalition. And, and this will be the, the sort of the vanguard of all the folks that will be out there, um, you know, talking to everybody they know and seeing what we can do to generate. And this will be hopefully some media people and some other folks. But it's going to be really, really interesting to see who uh, stands up and, and, and we can. And now my press release list is several hundred. If you want to be on it. You know, email, put your email here on live chat and I'll copy it down and send it out. That's the best way to do that. Uh, the websites I actually put on my show notes and I keep those. So, and I keep all my show notes. So I've got my show notes back to the first show, you know, five years ago. And so all that stuff has a record. All right. So let's, uh, let's move on to um, Thomas Paine. So Thomas Paine in his time is facing a similar thing that we're facing in our time, which is weenies, wimps, cowards, uh, the surrender party, uh, and those that refuse to do anything about the current situation. And quite frankly, uh, we don't need you. So if you've already said, well, this can't pass, or if you've already said, no, oh, nothing can be done, or if you've, if you've already said, oh, I'm just one person, or any, any of the other excuses out there, go away, sit down, you know, live in your hole and just leave me alone. I, I, you're not going to help us. It's just that simple. You're not going to help. So go away. You're useless. All right. Now, if you want to stand up and be counted, if you want to take a stand, if you want to be public, if you want to say, uh, yes, uh, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take this anymore, I want Congress to stop borrowing money, now I can work with you. Okay, now we can do something. So Thomas Paine faced a similar situation uh, back in, uh, he, wrote, he wrote The Crisis um, back, way back, uh, right during uh, 1776, I think shortly after the Declaration of Independence. You know, rallied troops, 
rally the nation, you know, kind of explain what's going on. It's kind of like my Substack. You know, when I, I make a declaration here on the show and I explain it on Substack, or I write a bill and explain it on Substack. And go to my Substack, gregpenglis.substack.com. You'll see my explanation for the uh, constitutional amendment to stop Congress borrowing money. Except now it's a lot stronger. <laughs> it's a lot stronger. Uh, and so much more. Con- but, you know, those are the times. The times create the, uh, the need and, and we, we fill the need. You know, uh, we, we fill the void with something that's actually workable. We have, as far as I know, the only proposal in the country right now to fight this bill. Everybody else is just trying to defeat it. Conservatives are really good at saying, no, we don't want this. And they, they, they scream and yell and they stamp their feet and they, they throw a little temper tantrum like two-year-olds. And then half of them vote for it anyway. <laughs> See, that's why the Republican Party is useless. It really should just go away. We'd be much better off without the Republican Party. Uh, and have something replace them that actually is a political party, or better still, get rid of both parties. Because the Democrat you know, party is the largest terrorist, anti-American you know, entity in the country today. You want to know what the greatest threat to the United States is? It's the Democrat party, pure and simple. Second greatest threat, threat are the, Repu- the Republicans that vote with them. The rhinos, or as I call them, the transgender Democrats. The one desperately trying to rearrange their body parts so they can be Democrats. It's really quite interesting. So Thomas Paine wrote the crisis in 1776. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. Pretty much what we're having now, right? That's exactly what's happening now. Shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now, in other words, in my case, those that are joining us at Action Radio, he that stands by it now, and that's she too, she that stands by it now, deserves the love and thanks of men and women. So a man and woman. So, you know, here's probably the first guy to acknowledge women you know, in some of our founding documents. Good for him. Anyway, he says, tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. We know that people surrender all the time, right? Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Yep, I'm waiting for that. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, or in our case, Congress, with the Department of Justice to enforce their tyranny, right, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. And if being bound in that manner is not slavery, then there is not such a thing as slavery upon earth. See, that's real slavery. So the slavery is that uh, our money is being held hostage. Worse than that, uh, our money is controlled by a Fed, which is a consortium of private banks controlling our money. Uh, and now they, they want to bring about digital currency. So they're like this quasi-bank uh, private government entity that wants to not only control the money, but control your money. <laughs> See, they used to just want to control the money. Now they want to control your money. So one of the first things uh, my constitutional amendment does is take all control away from the Fed, actually cancel the Fed because it, it, it outlaws central banks, um, and then puts the control of money back in Congress where we have some control as opposed to the Fed, where you have no control. The Fed creates inflation so they can transfer the value of your money to them. That's why they do it. That's what inflation is. It's a money transfer from them, from your, the value of your money to them so that your money is worth less. So you have to pay more money. So you have to make more loans. And they make money on the interest on the loans that they've caused you to have to make because they lowered the value of your money. See how it works? Anyway, so it says, and uh, it says, uh, then it says, even the expression is impious, for so unlimited a power can belong only to God. So let me read this without my editorial, so you get the full impact of what Thomas Paine said in the crisis. Remember, 1776, shortly after the Declaration of Independence. 
These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us all, uh, bind us in all cases whatsoever, and if being bound in that manner is not slavery, then there is not such a thing as slavery upon earth. Even the expression is impious, for so unlimited a power can belong only to God. Let me read that, that part again. To bind us in all cases whatsoever. That's it. The power not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. That's what he's talking about. And that's what, that's what the government's doing now, by binding us in all cases whatsoever to unlimited debt and to control of our money, which means control of our property, which means control of our freedom, and which means control of everything. It's all about control. So, so the, the danger to this country is actually far greater than what was realized, I think, back during King George III and the British colonies because it's so much more powerful. You know, the, the British couldn't reach into everybody's bank account. Oh, yeah, sure, they could steal your house and they could shoot you and they could hang you and things like that. But uh, the government can do it now on a, on, a, on a nationwide scale with a flip of a button. It's much more dangerous anyways now than it was then. I'm going to read the rest of this because uh, it's pretty cool. It's not that long. And I got time. <laughs> and uh, well, it is long. <laughs> it is that long. All right, well, let's read it anyway. Whether the independence of the continent was declared too soon or delayed too long, I will not now enter into as an argument. My own simple opinion is that had it been eight months earlier, it would have been much better. We did not make a proper use of last winter, neither could we, while we were in a dependent state. However, the fault, if it were one, was all our own. We have none to blame but ourselves, but no great deal is lost yet. All that how, that's General How, right, has been doing for this month past is rather a ravage than a conquest, which the spirit of the Jerseys a year ago would have quickly repulsed, and which time uh, and a little resolution will soon recover. That would be New Jersey battling General Howe. He says, I have as little superstition in me as any man living, but my secret opinion has ever been, and still is, that God Almighty will not give up a people to military destruction or leave them unsupportedly to perish who have so earnestly and so repeatedly sought to avoid the calamities of war by every decent method which wisdom could invent. Neither have I so much of the infidel in me as to suppose that he has relinquished the government of the world and given us up to the care of devils. And as I do not, I cannot see on what grounds the king of Britain can look up to heaven for help against us. A common murderer, a highwayman, or a housebreaker has as good a pretense as he. That was good stuff. That's why I'm reading it. It is surprising to see how rapidly a panic will sometimes run through a country. All nations and ages, ages have been subject to them. Britain has trembled like an ague, don't know what that is, A-G-U-E, at the report of the French fleet of flat-bottom boats. And in the 14th 15, or 15th century, this is, this is both 14th and 15th century, the whole English army, after ravaging the kingdom of France, was driven back like men petrified with fear. And this brave exploit was performed by a few broken forces collected and headed by a woman, Joan of Arc. 
Would that heaven might inspire some Jersey maid to spirit up her countrymen and save her fair fellow sufferers from ravage and ravishment. Yet panics in some cases have their uses. They produce as much good as hurt. Their duration is always short. The mind soon grows through them and acquires a firmer habit than before. But their peculiar advantage is that they are the touchstones of sincerity and hypocrisy and bring things and men to light, which might otherwise have lain forever undiscovered. In fact, they have the same effect upon secret traitors, which an imaginary apparition would have upon a private murderer. They sift out the hidden thoughts of man and hold them up to public, hold them up in public to the world. Many a disguised Tory has lately shown his head that shall penitentially solemnize with curses the day on which Howe arrived upon the Delaware. So what's the difference? What's the difference between how the British behave, the, the British colonial authorities, and what Congress is doing? Congress does not represent the people. They represent their party. They represent whoever is backing them. They represent the deep state. They actually represent themselves. It's not that Congress is, is being bought and paid for by corporations. They certainly take the money and they do the bidding of corporations. But the fact is that Congress is, is, a, is an entity unto itself. Washington, D.C. is an entity unto itself. It is, in fact, as I stated, a nation of government. Let me have more of these. Uh, actually, it's very descriptive. Maybe I'll skip down a little bit. Uh, the main, of course, the first paragraph is the, uh, um, the the biggest part of it. Let me see. Uh, oh, here we go. I'll look at this. Then I think I will read the Nation of Government because I kind of like it. I'm glad I wrote it. He says, "This is Thomas Paine." He says, "I shall conclude this paper with some miscellaneous remarks on the state of our affairs, and shall begin with asking the following question: Why is it?" that the enemy have left the New England provinces and made these middle ones the seat of war. That would be New York, New Jersey, that kind of stuff. The answer is easy. New England is not infested with Tories, and, and we are. In other words, supporters of England, right? So who are the supporters of Congress? Who are the supporters of government? Who are the wimps, the weenies, the un-American, the unpatriotic, the, uh, the surrender, the deep state, the rhinos, the transgender Democrats? Where are they? Well, they're all over the country. He says the answer is easy. New England is not into Tories. In fact, New England used to be the home of patriots. That's why the, uh, the war for independence started in Lexington, Massachusetts. That used to be the home of patriots. Now it's the home of socialists, right? He says, I have been tender in raising the cry against these men and used numberless arguments to show them, in, to show them their danger. But it will not do to, to sacrifice a world either to their folly or their base. The period is now arrived in which either they or we must change our sentiments, or one or both must fail. And what is a Tory? Good God, what is he? I should not be afraid to go with a hundred Whigs against a thousand Tories, were they to attempt to get into arms. Every Tory is a coward, for servile, slavish, self-interested fear is the foundation of Toryism. I would say it's also the foundation of Democrat-Republicanism. <laughs> you know, the two parties are, self, are servile, slavish, self-interested, uh, and uh, they're full of fear. They're full of, they fear everything. That's why they, they want to protect their own government entity, the nation of government. Then he says, and a man under such influence, though he may be cruel, never can be brave. Yeah, so, so where's the, where are the brave people that stood up against this uh, bill? Well, there's a few of them, but far too few. That bill that passed last night should never have passed. In fact, it never should have been considered. Uh, it's insane. It's irrational. It didn't go through the budget process. It violated, I don't know how many provisions of the Congress, because the rules and the fact that it was, uh, it was legislated by the president, presidents don't legislate. That's unconstitutional right there. So the fact that the president was negotiating and in on the initial deal is unconstitutional. 
We do not have presidents legislate and have that legislation approved by Congress. It's the other way around. The Congress legislates, and that can be either signed or vetoed by the president. That's how it works. So this bill is actually created backwards and, and could be you know, taken to court on the fact that it uh, basically violated the Constitution and the way it was put together. It won't because they want the money. The bottom line is they want the money. So it doesn't matter what they do to get it. They wanted the money. They wanted to be able to borrow us into economic suicide because they don't think it's going to happen. They've deluded themselves into thinking, or they think that maybe, maybe if it's going to happen, it won't happen on my watch. It'll happen on somebody else's watch. Maybe I can get in, get out, get my retirement, live happily ever after, you know, eat ice cream, join Joe Biden, be as corrupt as possible, be a foreign agent, get billions of dollars from, from countries trying to uh, subvert the United States. Uh, and they think as long as it doesn't happen on my watch, as long as it doesn't all crash on my watch, but it's going to crash on somebody's watch unless we stop it. This is why I need you to say, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I want Congress to stop borrowing money. That's how you do it. I want to get that to the Trump folks. It's going to be really interesting. Thomas Paine says, but before the line of irrecoverable separation be drawn between us, let us reason the matter together. Your conduct is an invitation to the enemy, yet not one in a thousand of you has heart enough to join him. How is as much deceived, that's General Howe, how is as much deceived by you as the American cause is injured by you? He expects you will all take up arms and flock to his standard with muskets on your shoulders. Your opinions are of no use to him unless you support him personally, for it is soldiers and not Tories that he wants. He says, I once felt all that kind of anger, which a man ought to feel against the mean principles that are held by the Tories. A noted one who kept a a tavern at uh, Amboy, uh, um, where is that boy, A-M-B-O-Y, he says, was standing at his door with as pretty a child in his hand, about eight or nine years old, as I ever saw. And after speaking his mind as freely as he thought was prudent, finished with this unfatherly expression. Well, give me peace any day. Not a man lives on the continent, but fully believes that a separation must sometime or another finally take place. That would be from England. And a generous parent should have said, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my child may have peace. That's what he should have said. This is what they're saying. Give me peace in my day. That's what the surrender party is saying. That's what the, all you folks who are surrendering, that's what you're saying. Well, I'd rather have peace. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm only one person. Uh, Congress will never approve uh, stopping borrowing money. Can't be done. Okay. How many bills have you passed anyway, Greg? You know, I'm just one person. Hey, guess what? I'm just one person. And I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get a lot more one persons together. And so uh, we're going to give you, you know, I hate to say this, but we're, we're going to give this country freedom one way or another, you know, and of course the other would be, um, well, actually there's only one way. I mean, let me take that back. We're not going to give freedom one way or another. We're going to give it one way. We're going to persuade all of you to join us and to, uh, to take up computers against the government, take up emails against the government, take up bills against the government and, and put the bills in Congress to say, this is what we want. That's how we're going to do it. Gee, Greg, I don't know. It's never been done before. Well, neither had the airplane, the computer, the light bulb, or a bunch of other things ever been done before. Didn't stop the people that created it. And the fact that you're all, you know, a bunch of you are surrendering isn't going to stop me and Action Radio and millions like us. Ain't going to happen. So just sit back, take it easy, get out of the way. Was it lead, follow, or get out of the way? If you want to lead, join us. If you want to follow, join us too. Otherwise, get out of the way because <laughs> we got work to do. All right. Let me just get back to this. Uh, he says, uh, he says, if there, he says uh, and a generous parent should have said, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my child may have peace. I say that too. The trouble is now. Now is our second American uh, uh, war for independence against our own government. That's what's going on. 
Do we need to fight it with, with muskets and, or AR-15s? No. We need to fight it with computers and emails and calling talk shows and bills and sharing and social media, and that's how we fight this war. That's how we fight it. Pretty simple. He says, and this single reflection, well applied, is sufficient to awaken every man to duty. <laughs> Not every man. Not a place upon earth might be so happy as America. Her situation is remote from all the wrangling world, and she has nothing to do but trade with them. Yeah, and void foreign entanglements, George Washington. Remember, remember that? He says, a man can distinguish himself between temper and principle, and I am as confident as I am that God governs the world, that America will never be happy till she gets clear of foreign dom dominion. Wars without ceasing will break out till that period arrives, and the continent must, in the end, be conqueror. For though the flame of liberty may sometimes cease to shine, the coal can never expire. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, so, um, but the thing is, we cannot also um, take up foreign domination as well. So it's just as bad to let foreign domination, or in this case, domestic domination, subvert all Americans. It's just as bad to try and dominate the world. And that would, that would be uh, Ukraine, uh, Iraq, <laughs> Afghanistan, Vietnam, Korea, and all the other military ventures in places that we've tried to dominate. You know, ours is not to dominate the world, nor to shrink from uh, anybody dominating us. Both are just as bad. But if we can be free and independent of uh, foreign entanglements and prosperous at home with minimum regulation, minimum government, um, then we can be happy. And this will be a prosperous and free nation. But it won't be as long as Congress can borrow money. Pretty simple. He says, America did not nor does not want force but she wanted a proper application to that for us. Wisdom is not a purchase of a day, and it is no wonder that we should err at the first heading off. From an excess of tenderness, we were unwilling to raise an army and trusted our cause to the temporary def defense of a well-meaning militia. As Summer's experience has now taught us better, yet with those troops, while they were collected, we were able to set bounds to the progress of the enemy, and, thank God, they are again assembling. I always considered militia as the best troops in the world, for a sudden exertion, but they will not do for a long campaign. In other words, they needed an army, right? We need an army too. Computers, you know, emails, phone calls, social media, uh, all that kind of stuff. Bills. Yeah. That's what we need. That's what we need. We need, a, we need a, a, uh, a bill militia. Anyway, he says, how it is probable we'll make an attempt on this city. All right, he's getting back to the details of the time. Let's see if I can get those. Where's the last paragraph? That's usually where they sum things up. Uh, okay, here we go. Last paragraph. I thank God that I fear not. I see no real cause for fear. I don't either. I know our situation well and can see the way out of it. While our army was collected, Howe dared not risk a battle. And it is no credit to him that he decamped from the White Plains of New Jersey, right? And waited a mean opportunity to ravage the defenseless Jerseys. But it is great credit to us that with a handful of men, we sustained an orderly retreat for near 100 miles, brought off our ammunition, all our field pieces, that would be cannons, the greatest part of our stores, and had four rivers to pass. None can say that our retreat was precipitate, for we were near three weeks in performing it, that the country might have time to come in. Twice we marched back to meet the enemy and remained out till dark. The, so this guy's you know, taking up arms against the British, so he knows what he's talking about. He says, the sign of fear was not seen in our camp, and had not some of the cowardly and disaffected inhabitants spread false alarms through the country, the Jerseys had never been ravaged. Once more, we are again collected and collecting. Our new army at both ends of the continent is recruiting fast that we shall be able to open the next campaign with 60,000 men well-armed and clothed. This is our situation. And who, and who 
uh, will may know it. By perseverance and fortitude, we have the prospect of a glorious issue. By cowardice and submission, the sad choice of a variety of evils, a ravaged country, a depopulated city, habitations without safety, and slavery without hope. Our hopes turn into barracks and body houses for the Hessians and a future race to provide for whose fathers we shall doubt of. Well, that's interesting. Uh, look, <laughs> wow, trying to breed out the Americans. So look on this picture and weep over it. And if there yet remains one thoughtless wretch who believes it not, let him suffer it unlamented. Let me go back to the key part about it, because this, this directly applies to today. This is our situation. And this is, this is our situation, right? And who may know it? By perseverance and fortitude, we have the prospect of a glorious issue. In other words, if we fight now, we can win this. All right, and translate it into modern English. He says, by cowardice and submission, the sad choice of a variety of evils. So all, the, all of you out there who are cowards, I'm not talking to my audience. I'm, I want you to tell the people that you know. Because if you were a coward, you probably wouldn't listen to the show. But if the cowards out there, by cowardice and submission, that would include those who would rather have campaign funds uh, and serve um, their masters rather than uh, the Constitution and we the people, those folks in Congress, you are cowards. Okay, You're, you've been bought off. You've been bought off by wealth and privilege and status and, and all kinds of nonsense, but you, that you value more than freedom and truth and honesty and justice and all the things that the rest of us hold sacred. So the nice thing about freedom is we don't want freedom just for us. We want freedom for everybody. That's the difference. We're not making money off it. We're not making money off freedom. Off my radio show? Yeah, I hope to. <laughs> but off freedom? No. Anyway, he says, by perseverance and fortitude, we have the prospect of a glorious issue. By cowardice and submission, the sad choice of a variety of evils. Well, look at the variety of evils. You have no energy control. You, you don't control your energy. You don't control the electricity. You don't control your gasoline. Okay? You have no control over where you live. You're going to be put in 15-minute cities. You have no control of your money. You know, you're all slaves. So, so basically, this government is trying to institute national slavery by computer over everybody. By putting us in economic suicide, making everybody dependent on government, by taking away the money, taking away our energy, taking away our freedom, taking away our travel, taking away job opportunities, taking away everything else. The way they can do that is by cowardice and submission. Thomas Paine was right in 1776, and he's right today. The same thing. A ravaged country. We're going to get that. A depopulated city. Well, actually, the opposite. The cities will be populated, be depopulated everywhere else. Habitations without safety, that's for sure. And slavery without hope. So America would become a slave nation without hope. That's the worst of all. He says our homes turn into barracks and body houses for Hessians. That, those are basically whorehouses. <laughs> houses of prostitution and a future race to provide for whose fathers we shall doubt of. So in other words, foreign mercenaries are going to come in and, and uh, basically you know, rape the women and populate the country with a bunch of foreigners. Now, interesting that uh, what's happening now that I think about it with this illegal alien invasion. And in other words, a future race to provide for whose fathers we shall doubt of. Isn't that interesting? So one of the things we'll talk about next week is uh, illegal immigration and, and the so-called birthright citizenship, which I call birth fraud citizenship. Trump wants to stop it and basically stop the practice of uh, issuing um, American citizenship declarations to people that are not American citizens. In other words, people born to foreign nationals. I want to go back as far as possible in the computers and correct the record. So you take out all the anchor babies and you give people a, a different status. They would be permanent. I guess they would be, you could, depending on how far back you want to do this, permanent residents, but they could never vote uh, and they could never uh, serve on juries. Uh, and they would have to go the same, through the same citizenship process, citizenship process as everybody else. 
that would be interesting. <laughs> and those that are undesirable, I don't know. You know, we, if they've been here for a few generations, it's kind of hard to send them anyplace because they've been here a few generations. That's going to be an interesting debate. However, they can still be rendered permanent, you know, uh, permanent residents and have corrected citizenship to the citizenship of their parents back as far as you have to go. That's going to be a tough question. It's going to be an interesting one to wrestle with. All right. 20 minutes to eight. Let me take a little break here. And it looks like we have people come and go. Uh, Warren from New Orleans, wake up, join the conversation, and then he left the conversation. Bye, Warren. <laughs> I guess he didn't like what I was talking about with Thomas Paine and the founding. I'm talking about the surrender uh, folks, so the folks that are – well, in his case, he, he's not surrendering. He's just an, ad, an open advocate um, of Black Lives Matter, Marxism, communism, things like that. Um, but I still want him to talk on the show. I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but it's limited. Once I hear the same stories again, I sort of think, you know what? I heard this before, <laughs> so I don't need to hear it again. All right, let's play a, play a couple things here. It is now 740. 7.40. Come back with the nation of government, and uh, we'll see where we go from there. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. 
They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Okay, so we're back. I've got uh, live chats functioning, so if anybody wants to uh, uh, type in a message, feel free. Uh, this might be a good time to get to them. Sometimes it's hard when I have guests, or especially when I have multiple guests or, and callers. Uh, the live chat occasionally gets uh, neglected, but uh, please comment in there anyway, uh, just because most times I do read them, and I do copy the websites you know, for, for viewing, uh, usually after the show, unless it's relevant to something going on right now. Um, the other thing is Skype line works, so if you want to contact us outside the country while we're live, uh, I've already tied it directly into the show. So if you call uh, online, the Skype line, and it's right there on your broadcast page, you can dial directly into the show, and then uh, uh, I know the number is <laughs> a special code. Anyway, so I have to just screen you for a second. So what I might do is play something for a minute, see who it is, and then away we go. But I have to approve your conversation anyway, so chances are it'll be the person that I've just approved or people that I've just approved you know, from the day before. That's how that works. All right. So lots, um, lots going on. Let me go on to the nation of government. And so this is, this is basically my, I guess, update of Thomas Paine's, you know, the crisis. You know, these are the times to try men's souls. What he's saying is that the, the country is going to be divided in those that fight for our freedom and those that uh, shrink from it. You know, they talk a good game and then complain and go, well, there's nothing we can do. You know, and it, it's easy to find. It, it's kind of like when, when, when a friend says, you know, hey, you need a favor? Just let me know. I'll be there. I'll be there with you. And then you say, well, I have to move next weekend. Can you help uh, move some boxes? You know, I'm really uh, busy that weekend. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what this is. That's the Sunshine Patriot. Sunshine Patriot is one that says, yes, I am all in for it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go fight. And then when people actually pick up guns, they go, ah, you know, I, sorry, I got, to, you know, I got things in the field. I got to, you know, I got to take care of the little woman. I got to, you know, sorry, I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are the Sunshine Patriots, you know, and so that's, uh, that's a little different. All right. Nation of Government. So this is something I wrote February 11th, and I think it's probably – um, some of the most accurate, I think, writing I've ever done. It's, it's a fictional piece, it's, you know, um, but I'll, maybe I'll just read it and let you decide for yourself. Nation of Government by me, <laughs> February 11th, 2023. Washington, D.C., the district, has become so powerful, so insulated, so completely cut off from reality and from the American people that it has become its own country, a nation of government. Think about it. 
they have their own borders. The district is part of any state and can never be a state because that would violate the Constitution and would give any state they are in an incredible advantage and a whole new set of powers. So technically, because they are outside these United States, they are not actually a part of any of the United States. And all their behavior reinforces the thesis that they are, in fact, a nation unto themselves. The nation of government is composed almost entirely of government employees. Therefore, their, quote, citizenship in the nation of government is to the federal government itself. The only state they could claim is the deep state to which they pledge allegiance and follow orders. Citizens have passports, but in the nation of government, they have credentials. They keep their secrets through security clearances, mostly. The nation of government has its own airline and air force of jets, from personal jets to law enforcement jets and Air Force One, plus the various vehicle and truck fleets in the provinces, excuse me, departments. The nation of government has its own buildings and a GSA real estate and maintenance service. The nation of government has its own transit system, its own airport, multiple national police forces, and a beltway to mark the exterior boundary. The nation of government is self-contained. The nation of government is self-supporting, owing to an incredibly stupid and dangerous constitutional amendment whose ratification is still an ongoing investigation. The nation of government did I write that right? Yeah, the nation of government gained the power to tax the citizen. Oh, here we go. Let me start that paragraph again. It actually makes sense, but you've got to read it further. The, I'm critical because I wrote this. <laughs> the nation of government is self-supporting, owing to an incredibly stupid and dangerous constitutional amendment whose ratification is still an ongoing investigation. The nation of government gained the power to tax the citizens in the states and territories directly. No apportionment. No citizens paying the states who would then pay the federal government. No, from 1913, the year freedom died, the nation government bypassed the states and taxed the citizens directly. This is the year the states became colonies and the citizens became colonists. To enforce the dictates of the nation of government, like the British monarchy of George III, they have erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers, of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. This language should sound familiar. Citizens of the nation of government have privileges not available in the 50 colonies. 287,000 armed bureaucrats of the nation of government, equivalent to an army of over 12 divisions, can carry pretty much any firearm anywhere in the colonies 24-7 without a permit, a license, or any restrictions. They can openly or concealed. They can carry openly or concealed. They can carry fully automatic weapons, extra-large magazines, and other arms unavailable to the colonists. They can carry in government buildings, police stations, airplanes, the halls of Congress, all of which, again, are illegal for the colonists. They can do and use their weapons with immunity. The 30th anniversary of the Waco massacre is approaching, and no one in the nation of government has ever been held responsible. The nation of government probably has a million firearms and billions of rounds of ammunition. The nation of government can go to war. The states became reinforced as the colonies again in 1913 when the state legislatures lost the power to elect or appoint their senators, which again, in a, you know, in a dangerous and stupid constitutional amendment, states were stripped of their representation in Congress. The colonies now have their revenue transferred to the nation of government and then they do have a portion returned. The nation of government imposes unfunded mandates on the colonies because they can. The colonies can do nothing about this because the nation of government has no place of representation for them. The courts certainly are of no help as they reinforce 
with rare exception, the edicts of the nation of government they serve. The nation of government issues its own currency in the 50 colonies in the form of a Federal Reserve note, which is a private corporate bank-issued currency printed at will, which perpetually lowers, thus continually uh, transferring its value back to the nation of government. This is the third strike from the year that freedom died, 1913. There is no U.S. currency, no U.S. dollars, nothing to empower the colonists to become full citizens with a true national legal tender for commerce, investment, and the accumulation of property, as all such powers are denied the colonists and controlled by the fiat money issued by the nation of government. Since the nation of government has no restraint on their ability to spend, borrow, and print money, the resulting inflation of the notes can put the colonies in jeopardy. They will be destroyed by the nation of government, which will exhaust the earning and the revenue product of the colonies unless a U.S. currency is restored and the power to borrow money from the colonists is removed from the nation of government. That should sound familiar. In the most egregious demonstration of pure hubris and decadent corruption, the nation of government stole the power of the colonies to vote and the colonies to elect the president through the former state electoral college by stealing the 2020 election in a coup d'etat and what I call the government choosing the government. The nation of government separation from the 50 colonies is now complete. They no longer need the participation of Americans in the electoral process. The states as colonies no longer have the power to protect their citizens, making citizenship in a state meaningless. So much for the 14th Amendment. The turning of the people into colonists is complete as well. Just look at all the political prisoners in the D.C. Gulag. Not one state has reclaimed or extradited their citizens from the nation of government. Look at what the nation of government has chosen for the colonists they rule. It's almost the same as colonial rule under the British monarchy, just with modern technology and firearms. The nation of government is completely happy with no borders and millions of invaders flooding the colonies. The nation of government has denied the colonies and colonists, us, we the people, our energy, our food, our supply lines, our money, our representation, our vote, our standing in court, the protection of our, the former states, and the security of our own property. The nation of government has created a dictatorship over the colonists, colonies while forcing the colonies to support the nation of government with unlimited funds from unlimited sources. The nation of government has lost any concept of the individual, which is the basis of all freedom and liberty. The nation of government exists as a corrupt globalist collective disguised behind deceptive propaganda such as the public good and unrepresentative terms such as human rights, diversity, and inclusion. The nation of government breaks all the colonists into manageable groups with nation of government-imposed group identities, completely separate from any identity as Americans, any connections with God, any extension of family, any rights as citizens of a state, any privileges or immunities, or the equal protection of laws as citizens of these United States. We have all been reduced to colon colonials of the nation of government. It is time to defect from the nation of government. We the people need to restore these United States, as intended when founded, where the just powers of government come not from the dictates, perceived needs, quest for ever-increasing power, and the outright obsessions and addictions of the nation of government, but from the writing of laws by and from we the people and we the states, so that the laws are what we the people consent to be governed by, and the nation of government is back firmly and completely in the constitutional box, 
existing at the pleasure of the states as a district only and a humble servant. That is the mission and the purpose of Action Radio, of the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. Join us. So I hope you do. The Nation of Government. That's uh, kind of what it's all about. All right. Got some things from uh, Warren at New Orleans Wake Up. Uh, says, Greg, in my view, you are not a real American. Well, Warren, you're in no position to judge. Besides, I have the citizenship papers to prove it. So that's a false statement. My reasons for saying this are you were not born here. Well, that's true. But I was naturalized. Your parents and grandparents, et cetera, were not born here. Well, that's true, too. Doesn't matter. Aren't we a nation of immigrants? <laughs> Actually, we're not. We're a nation of Americans. He says, you nor any of your ancestors have ever spilled blood for this land. Well, you don't know that. You may have uh, you know, not crossed. Well, is that the only way to fight? So is that your, is that your definition of freedom, those who have uh, spilled blood? Kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, how many people fought for civil rights that uh, spilled blood? Well, some did. They were actually arrested and injured and, and died. So in that case, yeah, but not everybody. So are you going to say that the civil rights workers who didn't uh, spill blood uh, aren't worthy? I don't think so. He says, you may have crossed the borders with all the proper documents, but you are no more American than those who cross without proper documents. No, that's a false statement. So the, def- the different difference is, I had the documents. <laughs> Those that don't have the documents don't have the documents. So to say that people that do have documents and people that don't have documents. But you are no more. It is sad how you try to put to out American. Those who those of us who are more American than you will ever be. Warren, you are not more American than I will ever be. Um, in fact, the definition of, of American is those that believe in individual rights, uh, our founding documents, our constitution, a republic. That's what it means to be American. All right? And so uh, I don't even think you live up to that definition even close. But that's okay because you can be different in America. You don't have to agree. You know, but, to, to, but to call somebody else not American when you support a Marxist globalist cabal and you want this nation overrun with illegal alien criminals, uh, that hardly qualifies you as being a virtuous American. But that's okay. You still have a right to your opinion. Then he says, you are still a foreigner. Really? No, I'm an American. I already proved that. I have the citizenship papers to prove it. Uh, if, it if that were not the case, I couldn't, well, I shouldn't say I couldn't vote or couldn't serve in a jury because a lot of illegal aliens do that. So, so a foreigner. So in other words, what, what Warren is saying is that somebody who came here legally, um, who did all the right things, uh, uh, and who uh, you know, passed the citizenship test and was sworn in by the judge and the whole bit, took the oath of citizenship, is not really an American. But somebody who crosses the border illegally, who walks across doing anything they want uh, and gets all kinds of welfare and tax money illegally from Americans and government benefits illegally and all the other stuff they get, those, are somehow, those, are somehow, those people are somehow allowed to be here. Whereas the people who came here properly are not. That's backwards and, again, irrational. But that's okay. We can continue on. He says, I think you should leave my country now. Really? So are you some kind of supremacist? You know, are you some kind of Marxist supremacist that can decide who can stay and who can't? Because that's what you're saying. I think you should leave my country now. It's not your country. It's my country, and it's your country. I'm not asking you to leave. I don't want you to leave. You know, I just want you to uh, hopefully change your views. So you, you become more patriotic and, and more uh, observing of individual freedoms, because that's really what this country is based on. He says, you are only causing more problems than we already have. No, actually, I'm the solution to the problems. You're the one causing the problems. Then he says, Greg, you can, own, you can go to your nearest airport tomorrow morning and fly out of my country uh, in one of the planes that you're qualified to fly. Yeah, I could, but where would I go? As an American citizen with an American passport saying, I want to go live in some other country, what are they going to say? They're going to say no. First of all, I wouldn't go. But secondly, I wouldn't be able to even if I wanted to. Then he says, take Josie with you. 
Oh, see, now you just now, now you hate Hispanics, right? He says you can drop her off in Ukraine since she despises her beautiful country of Nicaragua. Nicaragua is not so beautiful under the current the regime of Daniel Ortega. Then he says, can I call and promote my new organization? No, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> not right now. This is fascinating. Can I call in and promote my new organization? Somebody called yesterday. Um, Pastor Don. Pastor Don called yesterday. And, which I don't mind. And Pastor Don's welcome to the show. He's been on the show many times. Not a problem. But this time he called yesterday. It was near the end of the show. It's like the last five minutes. And he calls in and he says, um, I'd like to turn the show over now to my guest. And the sole purpose of bringing on this guest was to promote their show on my show. Did he ask if he could bring on a guest to promote their show? No. So I called him on it immediately. I said, this is incredibly disrespectful. That's you're disrespecting me. You're just disrespecting my show. You're bringing on somebody without my permission to promote their show on my show. How dare you? You can't do that. So it was a really interesting conversation. And I said, okay. I said, well, the deal is now you, now you have to promote my show and your show. He said, well, I've done it a bunch of times. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second either. Um, but anyway, the point was it's incredibly rude and disrespectful to go on somebody else's show to promote your show without asking. Now, I have people promote their show on my show all the time. That's okay. Uh, they offer something. Even Warren can promote his show on my show because he at least talks. And I don't agree with a, th- a single thing he says, but that's okay. You don't have to agree to be on Action Radio. If, if, uh, if, uh, disagree- if uh, disagreement was outlawed, I wouldn't have just read all his comments you know, and made them part of this podcast. I do value his opinion, even if I disagree with it completely. And that's okay. That's what it's all about. But I don't ask that uh, people who disagree leave the country, as he does. See, that's the difference. All right. So Warren and I are a completely different orientation. He thinks that people who disagree should leave. Um, you know, and uh, personally, I think uh, I will get into the race thing later. I don't. I don't think uh, Warren has a particularly high opinion of uh, of white people. I think that's part of the problem. But we'll talk about that too. He's not too crazy about Josie, who's Hispanic either. But so we can talk about supremacy and black supremacy another time. Um, it's, uh, it's 8 o'clock. Let me play a couple more things here. It's actually 801. I've got an interview that I think you'll find fascinating. Uh, this is with Robert Shibley, who is the head of FIRE, the Foundation for Independent Rights in Education, and talks about free speech and things like that. So I've got it down here at the bottom. Let me see if I make sure I've got it here. Yeah, Robert Shibley. Here it is. All right, so I got it right here. It's about 42 minutes. So this will take us pretty close up to when... CJ, CJ calls in with CJ's wellness watch. Interesting chat, Warren. Uh, well, here's the thing. Um, basically, what you're doing, uh, you're acting as a supremacist. You know, whether you're a black supremacist or a Marxist supremacist or whatever kind of supremacist you are, whenever you want to call upon large numbers of people to leave the country or call upon government force to do that, that makes you a supremacist. Because supremacists, whether they're white supremacists, you know, Christian, Jewish, Hindu supremacists, Islamic supremacists, black supremacists, you know, uh, Hispanic supremacists, anybody that wants other folks to leave the country, all right, and they want to invoke government power to do that, that makes you a supremacist. So the difference is Warren's a supremacist and I'm not. I don't want anybody to leave except the illegal aliens because they're criminals. They can't be here. So that's different. But as far as Americans and, and people that are born here and naturalized here, wherever they come from, that's cool because they came here to add something to the country. And that's the difference. So the supremacists, it's like the Nazi uh, supremacists. Nazis are the ultimate, you know, supremacists. Because Nazis believe that, and they're leftists. Nazis are always leftists because all supremacists and all uh, dictators and tyrants and um, totalitarianists and Marxists and socialists and communists and, you know, fascists, uh, socialists, they're all the same. They're all leftists by definition because they want total government. 
And so it takes total government to either cause a Holocaust or to deport, you know, mass or to forcibly, you know, deport mass amounts of people simply for who they are. And so that's what, that's what makes, that really makes the supremacists. So by definition, all supremacists are leftists. Anyway, let me uh, play some, I'll play the rest of my commercial so I get that done. Then I can talk to uh, CJ and then I'll get to my interview with uh, Robert Shibley, which I think you'll find quite interesting. Play a couple things. It is now 8.03. Back in a little bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. So I wonder how paintball went. I'll have to check in on uh, Jason. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. 
the guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Joe Biden's Dark Winter No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. No, I'm working on it. I'm trying my best here. Like I say, we have a, a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Uh, that is the single most effective thing that we can do right now to stop this economic suicide and this economic tyranny that these wacko psychopaths in Congress are, are heading us down, knowing full well that uh, they can't keep borrowing forever, but they're doing it anyway. Uh, this, is, this is the definition of insanity, of, of keeping repeating things, you know, and then expecting the, or I guess I would change the definition, keeping repeating something that's, that's known to be incredibly dangerous, you know, raising the debt ceiling, uh, thinking that, it'll, that this can go on forever. I mean, that kind of irrationality is, is, is hard to contemplate, but yet that's what we're experiencing. And yet they got up there and they argued. Uh, and they said, uh, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, we're actually being fiscally responsible. <laughs> Are you kidding? Anyway, so uh, I like playing these interviews from WBY because one of the things, nice things about having a radio station, especially an established radio station, uh, was with Mike Bates, who owned WBY 1330 AM, uh, Northwest Florida's news and talk leader uh, at the time, was that uh, he knew a whole bunch of people. And a whole bunch of people knew him. And so I had access to some unbelievable guests. And it's, it's not, you know, impossible. Now, it's tougher to get guests for an Internet radio show only. Usually folks are, are they're used to their, their PR people, the public relations folks going directly to a station. Uh, it doesn't always work in my case. Although I have had some amazing people on because uh, I got friends. <laughs> I got good, good friends in good places. So we're able to do what we do because we are unique in the world in having a citizen legislature. All right, so one of, the, one of my guests, uh, this is back to WBY. Uh, let me see if I can uh, let me get uh, Robert, 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 Robert Shibley of FIRE, the Foundation for Independent uh, uh, Rights and Education. Uh, so here it is, okay. This interview is from March 26th of 2017. And so, no, excuse me, May, May 26th of 2017. So I've been in radio at this point about two and a half months. <laughs> you know, my vast experience in radio. And, but, uh, you know, I mean, I had practice interviewing. I had eight years of tour guiding. I was used to working with a microphone and this seems like a natural job for me anyway. So it wasn't too tough, uh, to be able to come here and, um, you know, just, just go right into radio and, and just leap right in. I mean, I had Walter Williams after what, three weeks, you know, as a guest, it was pretty incredible. And so that's how that worked out. Anyway, one of the, the more interesting folks, and I play you some of the best interviews because you never hear this any other way. Uh, the station's gone, the podcasts are gone, everything's gone. Fortunately, I took them all, you know, when I left and said, yeah, these, these might come in handy one day. Well, this is that day. So this is uh, Robert Shibley from FIRE, the Foundation for Independent uh, Rights in Education. 
uh, from May 26 of 2017. It's either right before or right after Memorial Day. So you'll hear a reference in there too. So anytime they mention WEBY or phone numbers other than 215-383-3832, which is our number here, uh, or AM radio 1330 or anything like that, that's from the recording. I've taken out the commercials, taken out the useless stuff, and just left you with the essence of the interview. But I think you'll find it pretty interesting. I certainly did. And it's, it's fun for me to hear these over again, too. It's like, wow, that was a good question. You know, so, again, I was still learning about radio uh, at that time. I'm still learning about radio. You, you never master this. You just, you just get better, hopefully, uh, a little bit every day. All right. Uh, it's about 42 minutes. Feel free um, to, to listen away. And you can type on live chat. And I can answer live chats, but I won't be talking uh, until this is over. And then we have CJ with our Wellness Watch at the top of the next hour. Here we go. Yeah, baby. (laughs) There we go. 8 6 in the morning, time for Action Radio with Greg Penglis here at 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's talk radio. And we have a guest, and he may only be here for half an hour, so I don't want to uh, waste any time at all. Let's introduce him. He has faced bias and censorship while being a managing editor of a college newspaper. He is a graduate of Duke University School of Law. His career has been defending the rights of college and university students and faculty members, and he started the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education in 2003. Please welcome Mr. Robert Shibley. Got to get our applause in there, too. Hello, Robert. How are you? Hi, uh, Great. Thanks for having me. I love that intro. Well, yeah. Well, this is my show. I can do what I want. I love to do these things. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I know you may only may have half an hour, but you're perfectly welcome to stay for the whole hour because I've got about three hours of questions. Well, sure. I'm happy to. I, I think I can do the whole hour. So oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So first of all, tell us about the, the foundation for, um, let me get my, my title right here. Uh, oh, yeah. Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Fire. Uh, how is this? What, what do you guys do? Yeah, sure. Well, we were founded in 1999 uh, to defend free speech, uh, other First Amendment rights like freedom of religion, uh, freedom of association and expression, as well as due process um, and fair procedures on college and university campuses. And uh, we were founded sort of in the wake of the the 1990s political correctness uh, movement, uh, when people on campus started really to be punished for saying or, or sometimes even thinking things uh, that were, you know, outside the, the campus mainstream or outside the sort of approved uh, beliefs of campus. And uh, we've been going ever since. What kind of punishments were students getting? Well, they were getting and are getting, um, you know, it, it can be as severe as expulsion, but generally, uh, you know, what you might see is uh, somebody uh, will say something that's deemed to be uh, sexist or racist or some form of harassment, um, and, you know, punishments can range from sort of a letter of discipline uh, to suspension uh, for a semester or two, which is pretty common, uh, to expulsion from the university. Wow. How come a term like white privilege isn't considered offensive or racist? Well, you know, what's considered offensive or racist, um, you know, a big part of the problem of, you know, having a, a, a system where you can be punished for saying things that are offensive or racist is what's offensive or racist or anything else like that is purely in the eye of the beholder. And there's really no way around that. So, yeah. you know, whereas, you know, maybe in, you know, the, the 1950s or, or the 1850s, white privilege would have been considered offensive or racist. Uh, today, it, it's not. And it, it's uh, at least by the folks who are making the rules on 
most campuses. Um, and so it's a, uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of taste. And that's, that's a big part of the problem, which is that, you know, if you don't share the taste, if you don't share the opinions of the people who are in charge on campuses, uh, you can be taking a big risk uh, if you speak your mind. And so that, that really sort of gets to the, the fundamentals of the problem. The answer is because the people in charge don't feel like it. And that answer changes depending on who's in charge which makes free speech totally arbitrary. And I'm a big free speech advocate. I, I have experience with this uh, in college myself. And this is back, I graduated in 81 uh, from the University of Massachusetts. And I remember I was in a debate class and I took a view opposing uh, what the, the, the professor liked. And I just looked at him and I said, you're going to downgrade me for my position, aren't you? He says, yes, I am. I said, you can't do that. He says, yes, I can. I'm thinking to myself, what's the point? You know, and this is back in the 80s this was going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's always, I mean, it's always been a, um, you know, a, a temptation uh, for people. And I mean, this, you know, this goes all the way back to, you know, our earliest historical documents. I mean, people who uh, say unpopular things to the people in power are always uh, taking a risk. And one of the real innovations about uh, the Enlightenment and, and sort of the philosophy from which America sprang, and of course the one that's written into our founding documents, is this idea of limiting the government, limiting the authorities uh, from actually doing that. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in my opinion, and I think in, in the opinion of most Americans, that's been a, a really successful experiment. Uh, you know, we have a great deal of freedom. We've made a great deal of progress. Uh, because of it, because we've told the authorities uh, in most cases, you know what, this is not your business, uh, what I can say, what I can think, what I can write or publish. Um, and so that's been successful. But, you know, it's very natural for people not to want to hear things and, and to want to, you know, punish people who are expressing opinions they find offensive or they'd rather not hear that make them uncomfortable. And so it, it, it's, a, it's an impulse we always have to fight against. And unfortunately, you know, professors and, and administrators on college campuses, um, you know, just like the the actual government, um, you know, people we think of as government officials, although I want to point out that at state universities, uh, you know, administrators particularly are definitely uh, state state officials. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they give into that temptation, too, when they're not, you know, disciplined not to. It's, it's fascinating what's going on. I want to get into, because uh, you're a lawyer, and so I want, to, I want to tax your lawyerly brain on the uh -oh. First Amendment. Oh, don't worry. No, it's just, it's going to be fun. I mean, this, is, this isn't gotcha radio. This is, you know, you're among friends here. But even so, I still want to, you know, maximize what I can, uh, what, what I can, I can delve into. Um, again, so free speech, definitely a, a, a big thing. I consider free speech, this is my personal opinion. Uh, first of all, if it's not offending somebody, it's, it's not even worth it. And so I, I, with all rights, I consider rights to be absolute within the context of the right. So the first, first amendment of free speech, you know, within the context of free speech, I include free speech to be ideas, opinions, evidence, and arguments. But if you're just, you know, talking, and you're not saying anything, or like the panhandling ordinance, if you're just asking for money, that's not speech, that's commerce. And so within the context of free speech, you know, you have the absolute right to, to, have, to not be infringed by the government. But if you're not engaged in ideas, opinions, you know, evidence, arguments, things like that, you're not really engaged in speech. So how would you define uh, free speech if you could? Well, I mean, the, 
you know, that's actually sort of the, the nuts and bolts of, um, you know, how when you have a free speech case, when you have a case that goes to the Supreme Court, uh, that's you're talking about one of the kinds of determinations they make. And it, it's one of the courts, um, you know, if you're if you are setting up a criminal conspiracy, that might all be speech. You know, if you're if you're making plans, how, to, how you're going to rob a bank. Uh, you know that is all obviously no, that's commerce. But, it's, but it's, uh, it's in that case, it, it's also a criminal conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, basically, there are the way we look at it in this country, and that's one of the I think the great things about this country. But it's also one of the things that makes us uh, unique um, in the world is that. Uh, we, we generally start from the assumption that your speech or expression is protected unless it falls into one of the exceptions. And those exceptions are things you're talking about. Commercial speech is actually – commercial speech itself is actually sort of a – it's the one sort of pseudo-exception. Um, it, it, you know, they are – obviously, you can have truth in advertising laws um, that say, you know, you can't advertise that, you know, the ingredients in your, in your uh, you know, food, you can't say it, you know, contains beef when it really contains, you know uh, – I don't know a dog or yeah. something like that. So that's not that's not a that's not an infringement considered non infringement on free speech. But the ones we usually think of are for um, uh, uh, criminal conspiracies or, or speech like that. Um, actual uh, true harassment or threats. So that's when you are um, engaging in a course of conduct that involves speech um, that is either you know somebody would actually be threatened with physical or bodily harm, or yeah. you know it rises to the level of harassment where you know it really is interfering with somebody's life. Um, but that's that's not speech to me because that's not an idea, an expression, an independent opinion, argument, or evidence supporting your argument. So well, that to me wouldn't be speech. Exactly, and that's part of what they, and that's that's generally one of the the considerations that they make is, you know, is this kind of speech more like pure expression or is it more like an action, right? Okay. And so, and that's, and, and and you know, frankly, it is a judgment call in many cases, and obviously, there's a lot of reasonable people who disagree, you know, exactly where the line should be drawn. Hmm. But I mean, that is that is a big part of it. Is is this um, is this really more like conduct or is it more like speech? Um, you know, and in the case of, let's say you have a protest and you're carrying a sign, right. um, that's considered to be more like speech than like conduct, even though obviously there's some conduct involved. But, uh, you know, when it comes to something like harassment or when it comes to, uh, you know, lying about what's in this drink or whatever like that, right. that's, that's more like, that's considered to be more like conduct. Yeah. Because we have some more time, I'm going to get into Berkeley uh, and what's going on there and the restrictions on, on speakers in just a little bit. But I want to, I want to kind of hit the First Amendment because I've never gotten, other than my own definition, uh, a really good definition for uh, some of the things in the First Amendment, and I know it deals with religious issues, but what does it mean exactly when it says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion? Well, that is a that's actually a very contentious issue, and it's actually one. Um, Fire doesn't really handle um, cases that have to do with establishment because it hasn't uh, really been an issue. It isn't one of our core issues. But mm -hmm. generally, the difference between establishment and free exercise establishment is clearly when the government is actually you know making an official religion. Um, Thank that, you. That, that's establishment. <laughs> so I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. The question is, you know, around the borders of that, what, um, and this is what we sort of argue about with the Pledge of Allegiance, having the words under God in it or the Ten Commandments hmm. um, on courthouse lawns, to what extent does that actually constitute sort of official endorsement of a religion, which the, the government, you know, is, is, which is frowned upon, but not, you know, completely um, impossible. Obviously, the Ten Commandments, you are allowed to put them 
um, on on courthouse lawns. Yeah. So um, you know that that's that's one of the thornier issues. And frankly, I mean, the the real answer to your question there is is kind of it's it's what the Supreme Court thinks it is. Which is why I don't believe the Supreme Court should have their judicial review power, which I want to revoke, and I'll talk to you about that someday. But uh, <laughs> on campuses, how does how does free expression of religion? Uh, do you have any cases that that you're working on with those with that issue? Uh, we don't have any current cases um, on that, but historically we have had a number of cases okay. um, that deal with um, religious freedom on campus. One, one of the most active areas that we've seen um, over the years of fire is uh, the idea that religious groups um, are are going to be dictated to in terms of who they can have as members or leaders. That's one of the more common uh, controversies there. So let's say you have a Christian, I remember one case mm-hmm. um, at a uh, university in North Carolina, I think it was the University of North Carolina, as a matter of fact, where there was a, a Christian fraternity on campus um, whose whose mission was to basically be missionaries to to carry the gospel to uh, other members of the fraternity community. So it was a fraternity, and their idea was to you know talk about. Christ to um, you know other fraternity members in other fraternities, yeah. and UNC um, attempted at one point to tell them that well you have to let in you know every you know you have to let in people who, even who aren't Christian and and don't believe um, you know in those specific beliefs and their response back uh, was that well we can't really communicate our beliefs um, effectively if some of them our members don't even believe it. Um, and that's a case that that's the case that fire took on, and, and ultimately we got UNC to agree with us, and they were able to continue uh, doing their work. But um, that isn't unfortunately that isn't always the case. Uh, there's a, a 2012 case called uh, Christian Legal Society versus Martinez uh, that we think went the wrong way in the Supreme Court. It was a 5-4 decision uh, where um, they determined in kind of a limited way that a university um, could have an all-comers policy for groups. So. Um, they said that a university could say, hey, every single group has to let every single person who wants to join, uh, join. Now, that's, um, that's kind of a limited one because almost no university has that. For instance, in most hmm. places, you can have fraternities and sororities. Uh, the, you can have single-sex a cappella groups. You can have single-sex you know, club sports teams, et cetera. Um, the, the school in this case was a standalone law school that didn't have any of those things out in California. Um, but that that's really, um, unfortunately, I think, a real imposition on the ability of groups, and not just religious groups, by the way, but political groups, LGBT groups, et cetera, um, telling them that, you know, if you've got these members who are, you know, really in there just to cause a problem, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, they don't even agree with the group. Um, I, I think that's a real mistake, and I think at some point that's going to manifest itself. Yeah. I just came up with a new doctrine of enforced association. And so that you you can use this if you want. I just made it up. But there should be a law against enforced association. So you shouldn't have to be forced to include someone in a group that does not uh, participate in the group by, by membership, by qualification, by belief, by anything else like that. Uh, is there anything like that in law? Well, the First Amendment is actually uh, serves as that law um, okay. when it comes to not... Uh, being on college campuses. The reason that a, uh, college campuses were allowed to uh, have this sort of limited thing is that they, um, they have the, the power of recognition over groups. So, for instance, let's say you have an outside group mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with, can, you, know, you, don't use, you don't have a mailbox, you don't have an office, you don't rent rooms or anything. The, a public campus can't do anything about that. They, they have no influence over those, uh, those sorts of rules. Um, a private campus can because they can monitor uh, you know, more 
um, thoroughly what each individual person does. Um, But yeah, I mean, generally they're you know, enforced association, you know, the way you're putting it, um, is something that the government can't do when it's a, when it's a private club of some kind. Yeah, it makes sense. We're going to have to take a little break, and then we'll be back. I want to talk about Berkeley and anything, any free speech cases that, uh, that, are, that you're working on right now, and we'll get into the, the details of all that stuff. So my guest is Robert Shibley from the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. It's 820 in the morning, Action Radio Hour, 1330 WEBY, and I'll be right back. This is how we do it. in the morning. My special guest, Robert Shibley of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Let's take on the big one, Berkeley. What's, uh, what's going on out there with free speech or lack thereof? Well, I think at Berkeley, um, what we're really seeing is the, the fruits of a, a campus culture that, uh, you know, particularly ironically and unfortunately at, the, at what everybody knows is the birthplace of the free speech movement, um, you know, among students back in, in the 1960s, um, this this uh, this culture among students, and I, I don't think it's a majority of students. Um, in fact, I'm certain it's not. But uh, you know, among certain folks, and they are they are um, you know people who are very vocal that say that certain kinds of speech can't be tolerated, and in fact um, are a form of violence. And I think they go further, and and you know, as we saw um, in the in the riots uh, on February 1st, and then you know these these sort of following up sort of fights over what's going to happen in some you know actual physical fights. Um, when uh, controversial speakers like Ann Coulter are scheduled to come, and of course she was unable to, we're seeing this idea that uh, the words that people say are actually equivalent to violence, and therefore it's okay to respond uh, to that with violence, that it's justifiable. And I, I think that's a very dangerous uh, precedent that they are setting at Berkeley. Yeah, Wellesley College came out with a whole speech like that. They had an article, and they basically said the same thing. If, if we think that your speech is hate speech and therefore violence, then it's not really counted as speech. So our speech counts. Your speech doesn't count because we decide what is free speech. And I find it ironic that uh, here we are coming up to Memorial Day honoring you know fallen soldiers who fought for our freedoms, one of the most important of which is free speech, and and these folks are trashing that right, you know, thinking that they have a monopoly on virtue. And it, it, further irony goes that the people who probably did participate in the free speech movement in the 60s are now the ones who are limiting free speech now. And it's like, well, we fought for free speech, and now we're going to keep our speech. Like, their speech is the only one that counts. How did this all, how did we get from free speech to our speech? Well, you know, I think it's, a, it's sort of a natural um, progression. I mean, free speech, you got to think historically speaking, the idea of, of liberty generally and free speech, um, you know, particularly is, is an aberration. It's not the normal uh, side of things. People really have to sort of believe in it and have a, have, and discipline themselves um, to say, you know what, I'm upset by what this person is saying, but I'm not going to punch them. I'm not going to, you know, take physical action. I'm going to respond with arguments of my own, and I'm going to try to win the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you don't have people who, um, you know, share that, and when you're not making any kind of effort, um, as, as, as I think they unfortunately, you know, aren't in, in K through 12 in many cases, um, and, you know, also on many college campuses, to tell people, hey, you know what, this is, you know, not speech and, you know, physical violence are not equivalent. Um, you know, that's a, that's a recipe for this kind of disaster. And we saw it at Berkeley, obviously, most 
uh, you know, most obviously, but also we saw it at Middlebury with uh, Charles Murray being sort of uh, actually literally run out of town mm-hmm. um, after after being told that the the demonstrators were coming for him and and his uh, his debate partner uh, sent to the hospital and then. Um, at Claremont College, out in, also also out in the L.A. area, where thankfully there wasn't violence, but they did uh, block Heather McDonald from speaking, physically block her yeah. uh, from speaking. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of this, you know, idea that we're justified in doing anything to keep these people from getting their message across. And, I mean, the fact is, if everybody takes that stand, that's a recipe for, you know, riots and, and civil disobedience, and, or excuse me, not civil disobedience, but the civil war, frankly, yeah. uh, where people are out, you know, beating each other in the street because instead of, you know, talking things through and having an election to decide, you know, which policy is going to uh, prevail, we're just going to beat on each other until, uh, you know, one of us wins. And I, I, I think that's not what we want. And I, I um, you know, at least that's certainly not what fire wants and not what I want. Um, but I, I think there's a real serious lack of self-awareness uh, among a lot of the folks who are, are saying that free speech is bad and that it's, it's justifiable to re- react to it in violence because that absolutely, I mean, the other side is going to pick up on that. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's no way they won't. And we're starting to see, I think, the fruits of that, particularly in Berkeley. Well, I mean, it's a, there's a whole leftist ideology uh, that says that diversity means different skin colors, but all thinking the same. You know, and it means that, uh, uh, you know, fascism is what we say it is. And if we act like the fascists in the 30s, you know, as I, I had an article, you know, from brown shirts to, to black hoods, you know, it's, it's not that much different. Uh, they're, they're fighting against, they're becoming what they're supposedly fighting against, and they can't see the irony of, of what they've become. And so this whole thing going on right now, uh, I've got a couple of questions. I want to get to the, the, um, the camp, comprehensive campus free speech bill that was in Tennessee, which mm-hmm. is the total opposite of what's happening now. But I want to kind of finish up. Do you have any free speech cases you're defending, or do students come to you or organizations come to you to, to aid uh, on free speech issues on campus? Anything going on? Oh, sure. Well, this is a, a particularly sort of ironic one in some ways. Um, at Lawrence University up in Wisconsin, uh, a student group there called Students for Free Thought, um, or at least they, they would like to be a student group. They've actually been denied uh, recognition as a student group, and it, it seems pretty transparently because of their viewpoint. In fact, the, the real flashpoint of it was mm-hmm. they showed a documentary about free speech and comedy that, you know, full disclosure, Fire was, a, you know, a co-producer on. Oh, there well, you go. We helped produce yeah. this film. It was called "Can We Take a Joke?" Where outrage and comedy collide is the is the tagline. Yep. And um, you know this this movie's been showed. It, it was bought by a, a sort of a mainstream distributor. You can get it on Netflix and Amazon and that sort of thing. They tried to show it at Lawrence University, and apparently it caused such a ruckus they had to stop it temporarily halfway through and, and throw somebody out because of the big argument that started in the you know in the audience. Um, and then it was seized upon by both the student government. It, you know, they did they did finish the movie, but then the student government and then the the university president, which I think is really shameful, sort of seized on that. And he actually emailed the entire campus community and said, you know, it's been really painful, you know, since this happened. And you know, I want to assure you, uh, this group is uh, not recognized. The right. student government, you know, I really thank them for their careful analysis in in not recognizing them. So it's it's really quite shameful. And given that the the movie was about um, how this outrage culture makes it impossible for people to speak. I think it's, you know, in some ways, particularly uh, 
you know, maybe maybe ironic isn't the word, but appropriate almost, that it was a group called Students for Free Thought uh, that were told they couldn't exist because they wanted to show this, or because they did show this movie. So oh, yeah. I mean, that, that shows you the culture that, that we're dealing with here. Which proves a couple of things. One, they can't take a joke. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing is, I mean, the university professor might have said, you know, I'm sorry we exposed you to free speech. It won't happen again, which is basically what he's saying. You know, yeah, so this, I mean, you know, it, it, they, and this is, it, and to be clear, it's the president. I mean, this is this is the guy for him to come out and, you know, effectively apologize, you know, for it happening and, 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 and make that, you know, basically send the message to students that free speech is dangerous and sort of like like a like a piece of uranium or something you know yeah. and that you know well maybe maybe it's got some use but we have to be really really careful in how we handle it and and look you know these people are you know they're not worthy uh to organize and do that i i think is really you know, a shame obviously but i i think it's also really reflective of um you know how people are just not willing to tolerate hearing other people's viewpoints on campus and they're being told that that's the right way to be um, and it's not. Well, here's something funny. You're going to get kicked out of this. Uh, I, I looked at the trailer uh, for this movie, and it looks hysterical, so I definitely want to see if I can get a hold of it. But uh, in the, the, the Lawrence University community, the vice president for diversity and inclusion, okay, <laughs> which, which is funny in itself. Anyway, Kimberly Barrett says that we received several bias incident reports, including some related to an interaction between two students, which resulted in one student being asked to leave the event by a member of the sponsoring group. Each of these reports will be reviewed and acted upon, and they go on and on and on. You know, but first of all, this is like official policy. We, you know, we're going to have diversity and inclusion, except for things that don't really you know, come into our diversity and inclusion thing. Is there a lawsuit regarding this? Are you guys taking action, or, or what specifically is FIRE doing? Well, we're still looking into the, the details, and Lawrence University is a private university and is therefore not bound uh, by the First Amendment. However, okay. they do promise free speech to their students, and FIRE does our best to, to hold universities uh, to those promises. Sometimes that can be done uh, through contract law, sort of depending on the state. Um, you know, most of the time, though, um, we you know use what I guess what you'd call moral suasion. We we tell people what's going on, and we we put pressure on universities from mm-hmm. their alumni who are almost never. Uh, you know, okay with this sort of thing, and then from other folks <laughs> yeah. uh, in their local community and state, and then from their students as well to say, you know, this is not how you are supposed to be running university. How are we supposed to be taken seriously, um, you know, as a place where you can freely learn if, I mean, in this case, you're yeah. frankly just saying you can't freely learn here. Yeah. So you're not, you're not lawyers that actually take on cases and litigate on behalf of people. We do sometimes. Oh, you do sometimes. Um, okay. But, you know, we're not at that point in this case yet and, okay. and aren't, aren't prepared to, you know, say whether we will or not. Keep me posted when you have a great case because I'll have you on again. We have to take another break. Uh, and then I want to come back and talk about a couple things. One, why the ACLU isn't all over this as well. And I want to get into this Tennessee bill because I think it's quite fascinating. And it's also interesting that the South is where a lot of these things are happening. Tennessee, North Carolina, they've got the, your green light report. We're going to get into all that kind of stuff here uh, with uh, Robert Shibley. It's 834 in the morning, and we'll be right back here at 1330 WEBY. So back to Robert. So, so uh, Robert, where's the ACLU? How come they aren't uh, partnering with you and, and joining you in all this free speech stuff? Well, actually, you know, fireworks with a lot of different uh, state chapters, and, and, and sometimes there's more than one chapter in the state of the ACLU on, on various issues. So the ACLU is, is sort of, uh, you know, obviously they're much larger than fire, and, you know, they, they obviously have a much bigger portfolio. Um, so, you know, they, they, it depends on, 
you know, where you are. Um, some of the chapters are, you know, very happy to work with fire and, okay. uh, you know, we're happy to have them um, on the cases when, uh, when they're interested. Yeah, I'm always curious whenever you have uh, more conservative organizations, you know, pairing with more liberal organizations on things that we both agree on. And free speech, it should be an issue we agree on, but not necessarily. You find a lot of, a lot of quote, tolerance for intolerance. Uh, I find it in various groups that otherwise do so. It's like the ACLU is terrible on the Second Amendment. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. That's a different issue. But anyway, oh, do you deal with um, students for concealed carry at all? Have you folks worked together? We have in a couple cases. Um, we've okay. had um, several cases, in fact. Um, weirdly enough, in Texas, uh, there's been a lot of hostility, which is not necessarily what you'd expect, yeah. uh, stereotypically from Texas, although I, I shouldn't talk in stereotypes like that, but um, ah, from, go ahead. No, I'm just from students who want to uh, protest for the right to uh, carry concealed on campus and are being told that they can't even uh, demonstrate for that right. Um, for a while, they were having and may still be having uh, these empty holster protests where uh, they would wear a a gun holster, but that didn't have a gun in it. It was visible, and the right. idea was to protest the, the their inability uh, to have those guns uh, with them. And they were told by the several uh, colleges in Texas um, that they weren't even allowed to do that. Uh, one of them, they actually said, "Well, you can't have holsters." So they said, "Okay, we'll just uh, draw a holster on a piece of paper." And put that there, and they said, "Well, you can't do that either." <laughs> so, well, well, make this up as they go along, or what? Well, I mean, yeah, in, in many cases they are, and, and again, I mean, that's because um, when you have these rules, as, as many universities do, you know, fire rates the the speech codes of over 450 of the biggest and most prestigious schools in the country, yeah. and um, when we started, 79% of them had red light speech codes. That's the worst, you know, laughably unconstitutional speech code. That's down to 40% now, but most of the rest are green light schools in the entire country okay. um, that don't have any policies. And so when you have these policies that you can use to, to basically punish anything you like, uh, it really is, you know, up to the administrators what they want to do. And in these cases, you know, obviously guns on campus are controversial. You know, they're either opposed to it or just don't like to have controversy on campus. And so that's what they do. Interesting. Um, just in case you want to get in the conversation here, which I hope people do, 623-1330 is the number, area code 850-623-1330. Let's talk a little bit about these ratings here, because you had another article on the University of North Carolina, which you gave a green light uh, rating to. And I'm wondering, I'm thinking to myself, the South being a very independent part of the country, uh, it seems to me that there are more green lights, I'm thinking, would be in the South. Is, is that true? And, and where do you find the, the green light campuses and what makes them a green light campus? I think there's been, I think, more progress on getting toward green lights in the South, although it's certainly not uh, confined to there. Um, but, uh, like, for instance, I think that the two top uh, states right now for a proportion of green light schools are Pennsylvania um, and North Carolina. Now, <laughs> admittedly, Pennsylvania is fire's home state, so they may, that may have something to do with it as well. We're based in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, it really just has to do with, um, you know, uh, in, in some cases, like in Tennessee, for instance, what you were mentioning, in mm -hmm. North Carolina, where you know laws are under consideration, or in the case of Tennessee, isn't passed, you might have legislators that are that are more interested in pursuing that, um, and you might have people who are more open um, to uh, the diverse viewpoints, um, you know, simply because they live in communities that uh, you know tend to be uh, places that are. You know, not not necessarily aligned with sort of the mainstream of university culture, but you're you're still there, and so 
um, it, it's more obvious um, that you know not everybody agrees with you. And I think that, I think groupthink is a big part of the problem on college campuses. Is that so many campuses, um, you know, it really is considered sort of gauche or you know tacky um, to have a, have a belief or to express a belief at least that that's outside of the the normal mainstream. Which you know right now, and it's, this is this has not always been true yeah. uh, historically, but right now it's a it's a fairly left wing. Um, more Barely? Barely uh, <laughs> left wing? Uh, oh, you're too kind. Mainstream on campus, and so, you know, it, it's sort of easy to go along, to get along. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, in parts of the country that are, you know, a, a little more lean towards uh, the right, uh, there's a, a bit more appreciation that, you know, not everybody we get here is going to agree with this. And I, I think yeah. it's important, you know, for everybody. I mean, even if you are, you know, at a university that really doesn't have that you know, situation at all. Let's say you're, you know, a university in, in New York City or Boston or something. Um, you know, I, I believe, in fact, uh, the president of Harvard just yesterday in her commencement speech was talking about how, uh, you know, it, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but yeah, everybody at Har- you know, it seemed like everybody at Harvard was, you know, shocked by President Trump's victory. Um, and that sort of reminded them, you know, how they, they need to remember that there are other viewpoints out there. Um, and I think that's true everywhere, that, that people need to make an effort to, to seek out smart people yeah. with whom they disagree and not just take the, the cheap shortcut of saying that the other side is evil or dumb, um, which, is, which is always tempting. Well, Bernie Sanders said that, too. He says, you know, debate, yeah. debate the conservatives. You know, don't, right. don't shut them out of your campuses. And I admire Bernie Sanders. He's the only person I, I admire who I completely disagree with. And so, but that's okay, because I can respect what he says without respecting, you know, his ideas. I don't think they have, you know, merit. I think the socialist isn't going to work, right? But, yeah, uh, Bernie but, Sanders, Barack Obama said the same thing. I mean, re- repeatedly he said it. Uh, Mike Pence just recently said something like that at Notre Dame as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it is a bipartisan um, thing or, or nonpartisan thing. I mean, FIRE is a nonpartisan organization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, for, for political reasons, some people think it's convenient to, to use free speech as a scapegoat because it isn't. I mean, free speech has always been, you know, the friend of the oppressed. The majority doesn't need free speech. Right. Uh, the majority is the majority. They're, they're going to, you know, if, if you are actually the people with the power, you're not having a problem. Well, it's always been about respecting the rights of the minority, and that's the difference between a democracy and a republic. And, and people forget that. They keep bantering around this word democracy, and we're not. We are a republic with, with you know, some defined rights and others reserved to, uh, to the states and to the people, you know, not, uh, you know, not in, in the federal government. So even if rights aren't specifically enumerated in the Bill of Rights, doesn't mean we don't have them. And so all these things, you know, are going on, and so we, we define rights. We have, you know, rules of due process. We do all these things to, uh, to separate us from the democracies where one over half can change the law tomorrow in a completely strange situation. Um, I want to go over a couple of different things here. We've, we've got a little bit of time left. This case in, in um, Tennessee, this law, one of, a couple of the provisions are, one, they, uh, they require institutions to adopt policies consistent with the University of Chicago free speech policy statement. Are you familiar with that? Oh, sure. What's that? Uh, the University of Chicago statement is a... Um, there's actually more than one, believe it or not, uh, okay. but this is the more recent one that is um, a – the University of Chicago asked um, Jeff Stone, who's a, a famous professor of constitutional law there, uh, to put together a committee to you know, sort of examine the commitments to free speech that Chicago should have. And Chicago is a little bit of an unusual case in that uh, they're a private university that has um, – 
always had this this sort of different strain um, in them, particularly when it comes to to free speech. And so, they, um, you know, they the, the committee worked on that, and a, a couple years ago they came out with a, a statement that's I think very strong, um, and that Fire has been encouraging schools. Um, to adopt that basically says, you know, we need, you know, all viewpoints need to be aired here. um, And we need to, you know, be careful to make sure that we are not uh, enforcing some kind of orthodoxy on folks. I'm, I'm, I'm horribly paraphrasing from it, but um, you know, a lot of different folks, um, a lot of different universities have started to adopt that um, either faculty bodies or the universities themselves. Um, And so now the uh, Tennessee legislature has said, you know what, we expect our universities to have policies that are consistent with this commitment to free expression and academic freedom. Is this the same University of Chicago that does the, the style reporter journalistic standards thing? Uh, oh yeah, they are. They're, that okay. is the University of Chicago. Yeah, the uh, the they have their own style. That's right. Okay, interesting. And then they also talk about prohibits the use uh, of misleadingly labeled free speech zones. Let's talk about those. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we see. I think it's down to about um, one in six or one in seven universities. Um, that we survey have these areas they call free speech zones, or usually called free speech zones. Sometimes okay. they're called something else. But mm-hmm. uh, it's this idea that, okay, in this particular part of campus, um, you are free to protest, free to speak, free to hand out literature and that sort of thing. Um, and the rest of campus, there's a whole bunch of rules and hoops you have to jump through. <laughs> and, Is that unconstitutional, instance, just to have a, have a zone? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the fact is the free speech zone is supposed – the university campus is supposed to be a free speech zone. We thought. Um, you know, that's why we have them, and that's, that's why we're paying for them, you know, on these on – these, and these are public campuses, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a suit right now going on against Pierce College out in Los Angeles uh, where their free speech zone – I think it was the size of a couple of parking spaces. It's actually, <laughs> like a, it's actually a line that's on the ground. Uh-huh. Um, they've sort of outlined it in brick. Um, and that's where your free speech line. <laughs> yeah, there's an actual line. Okay. And even for that, I believe you have to, to to run through some hoops. And we have a a student there who, who was trying to pass out Spanish language constitutions, and he and he wasn't in the free speech zone, and, and got in trouble for that. So we're currently uh, litigating that out in in Los Angeles. Okay. How do folks get in touch with you if they want some help uh, with their their free speech on campus or just more information? Yeah, head to our website at thefire.org, thefire.org, and if you want to submit a case, there's a big button, or you can go to thefire.org slash submit, I think. Um, But, you know, our our website is is very big and comprehensive and has – we have these free speech guides, or excuse me, I should say guides to um, student rights on campus. There's five of them, actually, free speech, due process, religious liberty, uh, thought reform, and student fees and funding. Um, and so students can read about it there, but we also have a whole, we have a blog, we have a whole ton of information on this. You can submit your case or question. Uh, you can look up your school, uh, obviously, to see how you're doing, whether it's, you know, cases for each school or whether it's, you know, what's your school's speech code. Um, and you can join our FIRE Student Network if you're a student um, and uh, engage in some activities along those lines. Okay. We keep mentioning the word FIRE. I want to remind uh uh, everyone, that, that stands for Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. So FIRE, that's where that comes from. It's 8.50. We have to take our last break, and then we have a caller for you. And I want to squeak in your book, Twisting Title Nine. That's sort of like our last topic. So right. we'll be right, right back with Robert Shipley, 8.50 in the morning. Let's do it. The music is cooked up for us now. 
7.52 in the morning, I got my special guest, Robert Shibley from the FIRE, which is the, uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. I'm going to bring on Pete. And Pete, we really need you to go right to your question this morning. Sound good? Hey, real real quick, yeah, I appreciate it, Mr. Rob, showing up. Just remember the word FIRE, the largest forest fire. Uh, millions and millions of acres could be started by one little spark. So you're doing good. You're doing good. When do you think this politically correctness kicked in? I, when I was in college back in the 60s and 70s, we could discuss the craziest things over a pint of Guinness, but we never fought. We never burned anything down. We never beat anybody up. We never killed anybody. When did it get crazy where we need free speech zones and snowflakes and mayors of cities saying to people that need room to d- destroy, to destroy, and breaking into CVSs and stealing lower tabs and cases of whiskey and stuff because you don't like what's going on. When did this really start, like the frog in boiling water type deal? <laughs> okay, Pete, thanks very much. Great question. Well, most people think, and I think this is probably about right, that uh, it, it kicked off um, this, this latest wave of this that kicked off really in, in 1991 or 1992 um, in, in the rise of political correctness. I mean, that was, um, you know, that was a word that hadn't really been, um, you know, bandied about before that time. And, uh, you know, at that time there was, there was already sort of an immediate backlash. Obviously, Bill Maher's old show was called Politically Incorrect. There was a movie called PCU. Uh, that was making uh, fun of this stuff, um, and yes, there was there was a lot of of talk about um, you know how we are going to you know now start actually political correctness was considered to be good then like that was you would say hey I'm politically correct at first <laughs> that was that was something people would you know sort of boast about and talk Not about anymore. hey that's good yeah um, that quickly stopped but I think what that quickly sort of faded off or it seemed to fade off, but what I think what was really happening was that that belief was really being institutionalized. It was being sort of built into the university system. And so uh, we've seen it really, I, I, th- I think the rise of, of social media um, and the, the rise of, you know, what I, you know, think that there, there, is, a, there is really something to the sort of overprotective parenting. Um, you know, I know I'm certainly as a parent far more protective of my kids than my parents were, and, and somehow I managed to make it. Uh, you know, I, I think all of that has sort of come together as a perfect storm to sort of revive it and, and make it worse than ever in some ways. And so, you know, I, I think the origins, though, of this are, are probably from the early 1990s. Yeah, I think of this as conditioning. Uh, I was writing a, a little Facebook piece last night as to why people object to Trump so much, because they've been conditioned to liberals in office for so long, and I include the Bushes in that, uh, that all of a sudden you have someone like uh, Trump comes along, and the closest you know, in anybody's recent memory would be Ronald Reagan uh, and probably you know, Coolidge before that as someone that is, is like a revolutionary person you know, trying to do a lot of you know, good conservative things. And if you haven't seen it, if you haven't been exposed to it, then you're conditioned to think that this is the aberration. Same thing in school. If you're raised in a liberal school and you go to a liberal high school and a liberal university, that's your normal. And so to have you know, opposing points of view must be incredibly threatening to people. What do you think? Well, it is. I mean, it, it's obviously tough to hear people who really vehemently disagree with you. I mean, it, living in a liberal democracy is hard. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's supposed to be. 
sort of famously, uh, you know, they asked Ben Franklin as he was getting out of the Constitutional Convention um, in Philadelphia, which is actually only steps from where Fire's headquarters is, which is cool. What a coincidence. uh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) And they they asked him, you know, what what do we got here? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Yeah. And, you know, this is part of the keeping it, this respect for this tolerance, frankly, for for opposing views and and different religions and, and really these sort of fundamental differences is what makes us able to have a country this big that's still one country and you know constantly trying to attack that um you know that ability to tolerate each other yeah. um is is causing real problems and we're and we're really seeing those now yeah we've got about two minutes left uh, and then we have to break for news so tell me about your book twisting title nine i give the last two minutes to you Oh, sure. Well, Twisting Title IX is a, is a short, uh, I promise it's short, it's only about 50 pages uh, oh, okay. and cheap uh, book. You can get it on Amazon, and it's, um, it's basically my attempt to explain to folks, because a lot of folks are um, concerned about um, what Title IX has, has become, um, which is sort of this all-encompassing um, uh, imperative to universities and, and even to, um, to K-12 through schools, uh, to seem to turn everything, um, you know, all of their efforts towards fighting, quote-unquote, harassment. Um, and that's involved, obviously, harassment, you know, needs to be fought, but um, this, this idea that, you know, almost anything you disagree with, again, I mean, is, is some form of harassment if it makes you uncomfortable um, and has anything to do in the case of Title IX with sex, gender, um, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of that. And you know, we've gotten to the point it. where you're treating any disagreement as um, some form of discrimination. <laughs> That's how it happens. <laughs> we just got kind of out and away you go. So I, uh, in those early days, I wasn't as good at my, uh, my timing. There's a really fabulous discussion going on in live chat right now between uh, New Orleans Wake Up, uh, which is Warren, uh, and uh, Marco, which is Cyanide77, and me. <laughs> There's already been debating there, uh, as, as you've all been listening to that, that podcast. So uh, this is why you've got to go to live chat. You've got to listen to the show live. It's much more fun. So many crazy things happen. I mean, we certainly do our best. All right, let's, um, let's see what I want to do now. What have I got here for, for fun for you guys? Uh, so a little uh, – I should play my Milton, Milton promo. We've got a couple minutes. CJ is going to join us here anytime now, so let's get this going here. This is Greg Penglis, creator of Action Radio for my town, Milton, Florida. Milton, it's where I live. It's where you can live, too. It's where you can bring a new business, especially a business that helps our downtown historic district. We have everything in Milton. We have the Blackwater River. We have the Imogene Theater, built in 1912 and still booking national acts. We have Scoop's Ice Cream. We have Boomerang's Restaurant where I get my favorite Thai chicken pizza. We have an outdoor stage for music acts and free concerts by the river. The Blackwater Bistro will keep you in steak and seafood indefinitely. We have brew pubs creating great craft beers and giving us all a place to relax and talk. But it's more than just stuff and food and buildings. It's people. Remember the show Cheers where everybody knows your name? It's that kind of place. So if you're tired of the cities, of the traffic, the frenetic pace of life that doesn't seem to get you anywhere. If you want a small city that has incredible potential, that combines the best of historic buildings and modern, fun, small retail shops and restaurants, and a great waterfront, plus who knows what for the future, take a look at historic Milton, Florida, in the Panhandle, near Pensacola, and the world's greatest beaches, 
on the emerald coast of the Gulf of Mexico. Milton is going through a renaissance. Maybe you can be part of making it happen. Yeah, it's left over some music here just in case I want to add things like add stuff and stuff. And it was, a, it was fun making that production. It's one of the first things I actually did uh, within the, my new Adobe program. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anyway, so we got a couple of minutes before CJ gets here. So what I'm going to do is uh, talk about something since Warren's on the line right now. Uh, we're talking about the Emma Lazarus's poem on the Statue of Liberty. And the poem is called The New Colossus. Now, the only... Um, quote the bottom part of it, so let me give you the whole poem, which says, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs aside from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, mother of exiles, from her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Excuse me. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities fame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp cries she with silent lips. Interesting contradiction. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Well, it's really pretty, but it's got nothing to do with the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> That's the funny part about it. I mean, this poem is totally irrelevant. You know, I mean, the, the Statue of Liberty was not the Statue of Immigration. It was not here to light the gateway uh, to America so that uh, tired, poor, huddled masses, you know, uh, refuse and everything else would come here. Now, yearning to breathe free? Yes, that is true. So in other words, you don't have to be rich to come to the United States and, and be an immigrant here. Or as Warren says, uh, not really an American. <laughs> He's sort of a little confused about that. But anyway, uh, but that's the poem on the Statue of Liberty. And the Statue of Liberty has nothing to do with immigration. It has nothing to do with uh, folks coming here. What it has to do with is the war for independence. And what it has to do with is the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. It's a celebration by France of our liberty from England, from being a colonial uh, country to a free country. That's what the Statue of Liberty is all about. Most people don't know that. So we shall see uh, what happens. So anyway, so I thought, okay, fine. Well, so that given, given that this poem is totally inappropriate for the Statue of Liberty, it should be called the, uh, it's, it's a great, it would be a great poem if we had the Statue of Immigration. That'd be a great poem for, for Ellis Island, actually. And put that on Ellis Island, but don't put it on the Statue of Liberty. It has nothing to do with the Statue of Liberty. So I, of course, have a new poem that I wrote uh, a little bit ago. Um, that's when I write this, actually put several years ago, I think. Uh, yeah, August 5th, 2017, it first appeared in uh, Canada Free Press. So here's, here, so you've heard the Emma Lazarus poem, uh, and I want to replace it. I want to replace it with this, my poem, which says, Never in the course of human endeavor has one nation risen up to declare that every citizen is their own sovereign, where the powers of government are subservient to the rights of the individual. Liberty is the light to freedom in a world of darkness and oppression. Liberty has a home. It's called the United States of America. Liberty is the gift you were born with. Liberty for those here and for those who seek to come here. Knock on our door with your dreams, your entrepreneurship, your creativity, your hard work, and your burning desire to live up to your potential. If you are blessed to be here, reclaim your spirit, your goals, your ideas, your inventions, your values, and revel in your liberty. May the sight of this statue always remind you that liberty isn't just a statue or a government or a founding document or any definition or limitation imposed on you by government or companies or society, as they are just the guardians of conformity. Liberty burns in your soul every day and must be expressed every day. 
Liberty is the spirit that created the statue, that wrote the Constitution, that founded the government, that inspired the companies, that brings a free society. Liberty lives in every one of you. Let the light of the Statue of Liberty always live in your heart and never be taken from you. So I wrote that back in 2017 uh, as a replacement for the Statue of Liberty poem. And I kind of like it. So uh, we'll see what happens on, on uh, live chat. And so live chat is going crazy right now. But <laughs> that's kind of how it goes around here. So uh, anyway, let me just double check something real quick here. Um, yep. And, and uh, where'd it go? Oh, that's interesting. I guess I've been doing too much stuff here. Uh, yeah, that's okay. Good. All right, so let's um, let's go to CJ. We haven't heard from him for a little bit. CJ, were you here last week? I've forgotten. Or were you, uh, you know, busy doing like was, everything else in the world? I was not. I was not. It's great to be back. Oh, good. Glad to have you back. So I don't know if you uh, yeah. checked out the the live chat. Here's something you can do while you while you're anxiously waiting to come on and tell us all kinds of uh, fascinating information for our health and wellness. I still need a new theme for you. You want me to play the other one again, even though it's not your name? You want to hear that, or sure. we just go right into chatting? All right, let me do that. Okay, so let's. Uh, so this is for Chancy Terry, who was our wellness person. I'm going to take when I get time. <laughs> I've been busy writing, rewriting our constitutional amendment to stop Congress from borrowing money, but I wrote a wellness uh, thing, which I thought was really cool. Uh, the only difference is it's the wrong name. I'm going to adapt this, re-record it for uh, for CJ, CJ's Wellness Watch. But uh, this will kind of get you in the mood for what we talk about. What is health? What does it take to stay healthy? We have a longer lifespan than 100 years ago, but is the quality of life any better? 100 years ago, their food was better. They got more exercise. They weren't as fat. They didn't have preservatives, antidepressants, sugar in everything, and they didn't have vaccines. If you talk about alternative health care, people think of crystals, incense, strange candles, crystal balls, Ouija boards, notions, potions, lotions, and total hippies telling you to detox, man. So let's change our system of sick care into wellness. Let's get healthy. Let's lower our stress, stop taking in poisons, eat and drink organic, clean food, and let's have a chat with Chancy Terry, because this is Wine, Weed, and Wellness Wednesday. And correction time. Correction, correction, correction. We have the new <laughs> Wellness by, by CJ. Now, Chancy, I'm still in touch with. She, she does some fabulous things. But you guys might want to be in touch at some point as well. But uh, as far as it goes, this is CJ's Wellness Watch. So we have redone it, but the same theme. It's the same thing. Wellness as opposed to standard medical care, which these days is kind of sucks, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Right. So what you been thinking? What you been working on? What's going on? Well, you know, just because of the holidays and all this little bit of local little travel that I've had go, going on, um, mm-hmm. things have been a little bit more relaxed over here. But I think going into the summer months and as things start to ramp up, I mean, people are getting out, out more, you know, and they're going to be doing probably a little bit more traveling and spreading their mm-hmm. – I thought um, – so. You know, I've got topics in mind to talk about. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'll probably – go into one or two because we like to dig into, you know, keep asking the questions. But there's different things I think right now that's really important to address as we're going into these warmer, fun summer summer months. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of them is, um, and many of these topics people have heard about, but maybe they don't know the details or the specifics, is the importance of grounding, um, the importance of knowing when you're looking at fresh fruits and vegetables, what are the dirty dozen that you need to be looking for and really 
um, you know, washing really well. And then when it comes down to fruits and vegetables, talking about the benefits of the flavonoids that they have in there that are so beneficial um, to your body in, in many different different ways because the flavonoids are very, very rich in antioxidants. But What's an antioxidant? That's, that's a, we hear this word all the time. We should really explain what – I mean, and take, take a couple minutes cause, or whatever, because antioxidants, um, what the word means, what they do, because we hear it all the time. And people think, oh, antioxidants, that's good for me. And they have no idea why. Uh, they, just, they just hear the word. Okay. All right. Well, you could get as complex or as simple as, as you we, want. We've got a smart um, audience. Feel free to get complex, or, or you know, I wouldn't go into advanced <laughs> well, biochemistry sure. PhD material. Don't be Judy Mikovits, but you know, short of that, I think we can probably get it. Well, like I said, and I'm no, no scientist, but in, in a nutshell, antioxidants are they're molecules, and so they fight off different free radicals in your body. And free radicals are basically things that really shouldn't shouldn't be there in your body, because free radicals are are compounds that cause harm in, in your body. So they can be too high, they can be too low. And when you have tons of free radicals floating around in your body, it has the potential to create disease and things that shouldn't be in, in, in your body. I mean, if you think about it, here's an analogy. I don't know how good this is, but if you think about your garden, right, your garden flourishes when you have the right soil, when you pull out the weeds in the garden so the weeds don't take over all the good produce. Well, I look at free radicals as something like that. You have to remove the free radicals in order to get the good stuff to be in your body and for your body to function the way it's supposed to. If you've got too many free radicals compounds floating around in your body, then, you again, you have the potential for to be in your body that should, shouldn't be there. You have the, uh, the ability for more weeds and things to grow up in there that mm-hmm. are – hindering the way your body is is working to its maximum capability. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, so where do they come from? The, 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 and in radicals, those are there, if I remember my, my basic biochemistry, these are ion charges. These are not particles that are, are part of a molecule. They're just kind of like, they're just out there. And you have a negative or a positive charge, I've forgotten which. But they're not complete molecules, right? And they come from, right. do they right. break so off I from food or what's, what's their source? Well, free radicals are in our air. I mean, it's just like toxins. Free radicals were exposed to, you know, all the all the time and the things men okay. and women put on their body and everything. So when you're when you're consuming foods that are rich in antioxidants, especially fruits and vegetables and other plant based foods, mm-hmm. they have in properties that are effective. You know, like your natural vitamin E, your natural vitamin C, and they play a crucial role. You know, in in your body, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So, so the antioxidants basically ahead. neutralize free radicals. That's right? what so I want to get like to. Yeah, that's the, that's the statement. Yeah, right. So we're neutralizing. In other words, we're neutralizing the ion charge. We're, we're, we're making them part of something. It, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's like, um, it's like an immune cell that, that absorbs like a bad virus kind of thing, right? It sort of changes it. Takes it out of circulation. Okay. Yeah. So if an, that leads us into like the, the dirty dozen of foods that you well, want I got to another question. Sure I got, I go got another question. We're almost, yeah, well, I want to get, dirty dozen is going to be fun. I want to go through all individually. Um, but, but the, we hear the word antioxidant. So we figure antioxidant is good. Therefore, oxidant is bad. So oxid, oxidant comes from oxygen, right? So uh, 
uh, oxygenating. And, and so can you kind of walk us through that? Well, like you, you know said, we need oxygen, right? Right, I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, but it is. An, uh, oxidants it, are electrons. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to best explain it. It's a chemical reaction. Okay. So oxidation, that's an actual process. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You know, so rust. <laughs> rust is oxidation of, of metal. So, right. you know, basically changing the formula, casting it off and destroying the, the metal by, by infusing oxygen, which normally is good. We breathe it. But on the other hand, you know, there are forms where it's not so good. So, so oxidizing of cells instead of rusting, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, exactly. all right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, oh yeah, they do, they definitely do work hand in hand. So I look at, excuse me, I look at oxidation. Mm-hmm. As a process, not a thing. So okay. it's a process that, you know, actually occur. And that's why you hear so many more things about antioxidants, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just people throw antioxidants, they don't know what oxidants are. <laughs> I just kind of like to complete the picture and all yeah. that. So we, uh, yeah, we well, have a basis of understanding. A term mm-hmm. that describes like reactants and things like that, the transfer of electrons. That's basically right. it's the term that is, is the transfer component, you know, for a chemical reaction. Right. So our antioxidants change the, the charge or neutralize the charge so that they're not. So radicals have either a positive or negative charge. And what the antioxidant does is it neutralizes the charge. So it balances it and it stops it from oxidizing our cells and creating cancer. How's that? Oxidant gains electrons. So it, 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 it is, it's a chemical reaction, right? That okay. has to do with mm-hmm. electrons acceptors and the normalization of oxidative stress and things like that. So those are things, those things kind of all go hand in hand. Okay. And then you mentioned mm-hmm. flavonoids. Can we talk about flavonoids for a minute and then get into our dirty dozen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We can go, we can go backwards here. So Sorry. Or oh, do you want to go from, do you want to go from dirty dozen to the to flavonoids? It's up to you. No, no, no. That's all right. That's, okay. that's all good. Because yeah. a lot of the that we talk about with flavonoids, in flavonoids, mm-hmm. they flavonoids come from specific foods and things of that nature. So that's why we talk about those. Okay. You know, um, Makes flavonoids, sense. Affect, flavonoids actually affect the oxidation, and they contain antioxidants. Okay. Does that make so- sense? It does. Everything, those, those three topics that I was talking about, like, they all kind of go hand, hand in hand. Okay. So, such as, let me give you an, an example. There, there are compounds that are found in fruits and vegetables and mm-hmm. plant products. And so, plants wine, make them? Some, I guess a fruit, fruit and vegetables, they, as part of their process, they actually make flavonoids that are contained within them, like they have vitamins, minerals, yeah. things like that. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. So it's mm-hmm. a great way to help your body stay healthy. And like I said, flavonoids are very rich. That's how we got onto the subject of antioxidants. Right. So the, the vegetables that contain flavonoids, the mm-hmm. flavonoids have antioxidant properties. Mm-hmm. And they're specifically good for managing cardiovascular disease. Because if you look at the most American diet, most people mm-hmm. don't sit down and eat 
salads and onions and strawberries, I mean, on a daily, daily basis. I mean, they just don't. It'd be great if they did, but there's very few households that actually use, use these type of flavonoid-rich antioxidant foods on a consistent basis. And then hmm. if they do. I do. You know. <laughs> I, well, that's I exactly what I have, yeah. I yeah. But, but it's interesting, you know, when you compare mm-hmm. the flavonoid the flavonoid fruits and vegetables compared mm-hmm. to what's on the dirty dozen because when you're washing or cleaning your fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. actually that does have an effect mm-hmm. on how your body receives the nutrients, right? Because if you're consuming a quote-unquote, right, we can only get so clean, right? right. But uh-huh. if, if, if you're eating something that you have cleaned or you have taken off as many of the um external properties as possible, your body is going to benefit from that clean fruit versus something else. And your body is going to receive those flavonoids and antioxidants better and absorb it more than it would if you were picking a dirty dozen um, food and not cleaning it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's interesting. That's why I kind of picked these three topics. They all kind of, they intertwine together, you know, very, very well. Actually, not the grounding, but the flavonoids and the dirty dozen. And you were talking about the oxidation and oxidative stress and antioxidants. It's like the tangled web we weave, right? They, they They all bounce off of one another. Yeah, but you're not trying to deceive, though. That's the difference. It's just a tangled web. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, you started the metaphor. I got to make sure we just you know, we correct it on the way. And, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's so flavonoids. Some of the highest foods in flavonoids are your onions, mm-hmm. your kale, grapes, like red wine. Actually, depending on how clean the red wine is, um, mm-hmm. we've kind of took down that alcohol road, you know, before as far as tannins in it and mm-hmm. um, all those properties and peaches and berries and tomatoes and lettuce. Um, broccoli is one of my favorite, favorite things. Hmm. Um, and then some other really, really rich flavonoids. is your white tea, green tea, oolong tea, purple and red grapes, blueberries, strawberries, those, those sort of things. Um, so uh, you know, when you look at these lists, obviously, I mean, this is an obvious point that I'm making, but mm-hmm. everything is fresh. There's nothing processed here. Everything is fresh. It's very colorful. It's very natural. You know, so when people are eating, the more colors you can have on your plate instead of just a steak and a baked potato, which is white, like in my personal opinion, that's not giving you the things that you really, really need. Um, Not against all that stuff. You know, again, everybody has a personal choice. But I'm saying when you go through foods that are rich in in antioxidants, rich in flavonoids, things like that, you're basically looking of colors, colors and richness. Hmm. And that's a good way to instead of memorizing a list, right, or printing out a list or whatever, is just make it colorful when you're. Yeah, when you're shopping at a grocery store, right, and right now what's really good is farmer's market, but you still have to ask the questions because I always ask the farmer's market, has there been pesticides sprayed on this? Has this been done? Has that been done, you know? 
Um, and they're usually very, very helpful. And if you're choosing something where something has been sprayed, you need to know how to use vinegar or baking soda and, you know, wash things correctly. Again, like we were talking about, so you can maximize um, the antioxidant properties in, in the food. Mm-hmm. So, But when you're shopping at the grocery store, shopping, you know, the perimeters of the aisle versus mm-hmm. the insides of the aisle where all the packaged food is, that's, all, that's something I've tried to teach to my daughter is, when we're grocery shopping together, I'm like, okay, you know, let's pick out some stuff on the exterior of, of the aisles. You know, we're not going to really go down those middle aisles. Oh, that's interesting because to- most of my shopping is on the outside. I didn't, didn't really realize it, but, yeah, that's, that's very true. We should. Uh, do you yeah. know anything about the marketing strategy for two stores? I mean, this would be something fascinating to look at as to, like, how they do the height and the placement and, you know, is the worst food in the center of the store and it gets better as you go out? I mean, how do they do it? Do you know anything about that? Uh, well, I, I kind of sort of do, but not really. That would be, you know, I okay. Have, okay, so, you know, I'm quite petite. And so I, a lot of the, just like I would say a handful down right. the middle aisle that I choose. I mean, I know what to look for, you know, right. what are, what are, what are a couple things are that I allow in my home. So when mm-hmm. I go down those middle aisles, you know, originally if there's a new product coming out that I want to look at and the ingredients, it's always on the higher shelves. They always put them on the higher shelves. <laughs> always. Because That's they don't no want it to be at eye level. And so here I am climbing the shelves in the grocery store, you know, like right. a ninja. And it's like, <laughs> they're all like. That's a great no, image. Seriously. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I'm used to crawling on countertops and stuff in my home. I've been doing it for years. I just that's why my calf muscles are so big. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, okay. Another show. Uh, so. So like I'm CJ's ninja store the- store policy, yeah, that'd be kind of great. We'll we'll do that. Right, I want to see right. a video of this. So I want a video. I do. I want a video. Thing, <laughs> one of my favorite things that I get on the inside of the aisle, they're uh-huh. called super seeds, and they're gourmet pumpkin seeds with sea salt, but they're actually European pumpkin seeds, and they're very different than regular pumpkin seeds. I have not investigated, but they're they're just they're just pumpkin seeds with sea salt on them, and they are amazing, and they're quite expensive, so I only buy them when they're on sale for a small bag. But they're on the very, very top, like, of the potato chip aisle. Like, and they're not where the regular peanuts are, you know, like planters or all that stuff, which we don't uh-huh. buy. They're, like, on the very, very top. And, you know, I could go through and say there's so many other items that I do use in my home, and that's right. my point. You have to look, and, you know, even – one of the other things, I know we're scrolling a bit, and I would say not even once a month, but like for Memorial Day, probably for Fourth of July, I will buy these. So we're not chips and pretzels. We, we just don't have that stuff in our home. Um, mm-hmm. But when I do buy chips, there's one brand that I really like um, because it's just basically organic potatoes and avocado oil, two mm. ingredients, well, and, and sea salt. So I will only buy, you know, we've had the oil conversation before, but the point is that those chips, they put those on the top shelf too. You know, you've got your hmm. Lay's, you've got your Ruffles, you've got all that stuff with the peanut oil, canola oil, all the other oils and all the bad stuff, right? Right, um, right there. I mean, you can't really mess up potato chips too much because most, most of it is chips, salt, and some sort of oil, but you've got to know the difference, you know, in the oil. So, um, yes. Yeah. Usually the better for you, I don't even want to say healthier because that's not necessarily a true statement, but the right. better 
products in the middle of the grocery store aisles, I have found they're usually on the top. You know, um, also like when I was mentioning to you that when I do condiments or different sauces, which mm-hmm. is rare, but I do use them. We talked about brands, right? I always look for the person or chosen brand. Well, when you go into a yeah, I found both of those. <laughs> they're expensive, yeah. Yeah. but they're good. Yeah. yeah. But I buy, I buy those, but they're on the higher shelves. So, yeah. again, they want stuff lower or eye level, and not only for adults, but also because of the fact that they're at eye level for children. You know, so they're the kids level, are going right? to go. <laughs> the region, yeah. They're at current level? Okay, yeah, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, so make, kids are going to go you know, where they can see. So that's why, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have taught my daughter, hey, we're going to shop on the outskirts of the aisle. This is what mm-hmm. we're going to do. And, you know, she, she knows by now. I mean, she's 14. So, but going to, mm-hmm. to your point is getting the fruits and vegetables and knowing what the dirty dozen are. And the dirty dozen means what should you be buying organic if your pocketbook can do it, right? And even if you can't okay. buy organic, knowing what the dirty dozen are and then knowing effective, cost-effective ways to make sure you clean those, you know, rather than just, you know, people buy apples, they get in the car, they get out, they're hungry, right? So kudos for eating an apple versus a candy bar, but they'll take right. an apple out, eat it. Well, you know, if you're not buying organic, and even if you are legally, organic foods can have an X amount, and I don't know what the number is, but they can have X amount of stuff sprayed on them to pass organic standards and whatever that means, right? Well, yeah. How much can you wash off with just water? You know, I've heard that a lot of times, or or just peel the, some different things. Like, uh, especially, well, let's talk avocados. One of my favorites. You know, you've got pretty thick skin, so I don't know how much it actually gets through that. Uh, strawberries, I know you've you've talked about before. That uh, I guess it, you know how much gets off with washing, and how much do you actually have to do to treat them, or you just buy organic strawberries. You know, so so how much? You know, well, what are the simple things versus the the baking soda things, mm-hmm. uh, vinegar that you know about? My personal opinion: water does water doesn't cut it. What are, okay. you know, our, our water, you know, even filtered water, right? If somebody's mm-hmm. just using water from their sink and they don't have, you know, a filtration system underneath their sink that's cleaning out all the crap, right? right. It, it, water does nothing. Water water does nothing. Um, okay. Unless it's, you know, pure water. Because you got to remember, even apples, right? A lot of times they're shiny for a reason. They've got wax on them. Right. So... My opinion is water does nothing. People could argue with that, I guess, all day long. Well, you know, if you, no, okay. if you rinse off an apple in the bathroom, whatever. But well, you make a dessert can, off. <laughs> this might be all they're trying to yeah. do, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, you don't need to use, you know, white vinegar spray, you know, because if something gets left on what you're eating, you know, it's not, it's not going to hurt you. Um, using baking soda. And things of that, which is relatively, you know, inexpensive, but buying the right baking soda, which I have a ton of that at home. And Mm -hmm. baking soda is great for multi-purpose, you know, things. Mm -hmm. Um, But, no, cleaning the skin. Well, if you take off the skin, that's good. But there's a twofold to that, right? If you take off the skin, depending on the fruit or vegetable you're talking about, I would say 90% of fruits and vegetables, whatever skin it has, you can still get some of whatever's been sprayed on that because it's porous or the skin is thin and it can go. And we'll talk about like bananas and avocados in a, in a second, but uh-huh. you know, taking the skin off is better in my opinion than not doing anything. But then on the flip side, 
most of the skins for certain fruits and vegetables, that's where you have a lot of the vitamins. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, um, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't sort of thing. So my opinion is that if you can wash stuff appropriately at home when you're bringing stuff home or to wherever you're going, you're better off washing it, eating eating the skin for the fiber and more nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. So that, you know, it's almost like with with lemons. I use, in fact, I'm looking at lemons right here that I have to cut. I've already cleaned them. Um, I use the skin on the lemons. You know, and I don't use lemon. I love lemon water, but I won't get lemon water when I'm at a restaurant because I don't know if they've washed that lemon skin, what that's been on. It just makes me want to vomit. I don't even know what's on it. Um, And to put that in my water, you know, which I normally don't drink water at a restaurant. I bring my own filtered water. But I use skin off of the lemon, and I, I, I make lemon juice ice cubes, and then I put them in my water. But I will make lemon zest for whatever recipes or whatever I want to do. Lemon skin rind is really, really good for, good for you, but I right. clean it. Um, and then I make something with the, with the lemon peel and I actually use the lemon, lemon peel. So even with lettuces and spinaches and stuff, stuff like that, whether it's organic or not, it's so very, very important to, to wash those things. Even if you're getting ahead of, say, Iceberg lettuce, you know how it's usually come, whether it's organic or not, it comes in that plastic wrap. That's one of the things that I find more challenging to wash because unless you cut it all up, drain it and drain it and drain it and drain it because basically it's water anyway, you know. So it's one of those things. Well, it's kind of useless too. I mean, uh, is there any nutritional value really to iceberg lettuce? I mean, please, you know, give me romaine, give me something. Romaine has other problems, but yeah, lettuce in general. You know, and it's I make salads. I used to. It's like I make sandwiches now without bread. I might as well make salads without lettuce. <laughs> you know, celery. Yeah. You know, crunchy stuff. Yeah. Oh, so but you know, uh, like romaine is, yeah. Romaine is a better go-to because you can make you know tuna boats. You can make all kinds of things out of. You can grill romaine lettuce. It's amazing. Really. You know. Hmm. Uh, Probably so, make tacos but, but, out of it yeah. instead of having. You uh, make you know, yeah. tacos. Make tacos. You make it like a sandwich, romaine sandwich. Yeah, it's pretty strong lettuce. Yeah. Thinking. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But I'm not so, peeling my blueberries so, yeah. to strawberries. That's not going to work. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny Funny you uh, mentioned that because strawberries and peaches and blueberries, um, pears, nectarines, almost all your, your apples, your grapes, your cherries, green beans, um, blueberries and green beans are have just been added to the dirty dozen list because they're sprayed so heavily. Most of them, excuse me, um, they have tons of toxic pesticides on them. And so to, you need to make sure that you're really washing this because a lot of those skins are very, very, very small. Um, and 90% of strawberries, apples, cherries, spinach, nectarines, grapes, et cetera, they are, when they've been tested, they're very, very high in pesticides. So it's super, so super them? important. Do you have a, a, a quick and, do you have a quick and effective either baking soda or white vinegar or both? Thing that you can do that most folks can do easily. Yeah, that those are the those are the two most common. Just just with water, you know, letting you them soak it? or using a brush, whatever, you know, in a bowl with a tablespoon of baking soda, some water, swish it around. And what's interesting uh-huh. is on certain on certain items, say blueberries and apples, right? You can actually see the wax and the scum stuff come off if you do a test. Mm. Would just say say just take 
four blueberries, lay them out, put four blueberries just in water, take four mm-hmm. blueberries, and do it with either a baking soda or a vinegar in water, you're going to see a big difference as far as what comes off in the water. How long do you let them soak for? Five to ten minutes. Okay. So one, what, spoon full of baking soda to how much water? Just whatever is in your, your bowl. I mean, you can tell. You don't just measure it out. There's no science to how much. Okay. I'm just curious because I have bowls. I, I'm going to pick up some baking soda now. I'll pick up, you know, because I don't have a big bowl, but I'd, I'd have, you know, whatever I have for that session because I don't want to have it let it soak and then not eat it for a couple of days. Uh, but, yeah. Okay. I can, I can do that. Add a little baking soda, put it in a bowl with some water and just, uh, yep. can you mix different fruits? Can you mix strawberries and blueberries together and things like that? You can, but yeah, you can if you, if you want to. I mean, I don't, okay. but there's no reason why you shouldn't. Um, okay. and, you know, and then even, even the quote unquote clean foods that they, mm-hmm. that we think are clean, right? Think about mm-hmm. this, an avocado. If you're getting an avocado from Mexico, there's mm-hmm. still probably been bugs and air stuff and stuff on them. Right, mm-hmm. even though the skin is thicker, when you take your knife and cut through that skin, mm-hmm. you touch the skin. If there's anything nasty on that skin, you're touching the inside of the avocado when you cut it. So it's still very important to wash the avocado. Still, okay. vinegar or, or, or things yeah. like that. Even uh-huh. onions. That's why you always want to. I always peel off at least the first two layers of the onion, not just the. Right. That little like not just skin the skin. Stuff, but right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And when you're talking about you know asparagus and string beans and 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 stuff like that, um, quote unquote cleaner. But I always save them. You know, even like celery and stuff like that. I save the top layer off because sometimes, first of all, it's really stringy, and you don't. I still clean them with vinegar or baking soda or something something like that and then shave off the first layer because there are some vegetables that you can do that, just like I talked about onions, even like lettuce with iceberg lettuce or even romaine. You know, sometimes you just take off those outer leaves Mm -hmm. and be done with it, and then it's easier to wash the inside. Um, It's almost like it would be – I was just thinking it might be hard to be you because you know too much. (laughs) You're like, well, you can't eat that because of this, and you have to to do this to it before you can eat it. And do you do you then wash if something's been soaking in baking soda? Do you then wash it again to get the baking soda off? No, I'm just curious. Yeah, like you put it in the baking soda or the vinegar with the water, right? right. You you rinse, let it set, and then yes, you dump it, you drain it, and then you wash it with clean water like twice, and then I let it drain, or depending what the items are, I'll lay the strawberries out and like I'll pat them, you know, with the dishcloth mm-hmm. I you have that I use because you don't want the moisture to stay on them because then they go bad bad faster. Got know? it. Um, yeah. Okay. And, you know, the thing about carrots is a lot of people buy the bags of organic baby carrots, the tiny ones, uh-huh. right? Right. Yep. Um, I don't have this information up in front of me, and I knew it like the back of my hand a while ago, but there's something <laughs> that they do. When you put carrot, small carrots like that in a bag, they do have that white film on or they do put things on them in that bag to preserve them. And, I mean, read the label. But you're better off. I know people like the convenience. You know, if you go to parties and stuff, you see those little carrots with the dip or whatever. Number one, mm-hmm. they have got to be cleaned. You should shave them if you're buying them. Shave off the top part, the top layer. Right. But it's always better and more cost-effective to buy organic or non-organic, just regular big carrots. Just regular big carrots. 
um, take the time to shave them and cut them. And that is a much better option than buying the convenience bag of those small little little carrots. Well, once so they take the skin off to put them in those bags, yeah, once they take the skin off to put them in those bags, then those ba- then those carrots are vulnerable that the, whatever the skin would have protected them from is going to get through because they're taking the skin off. Right. Right. Okay. Exactly. Well, exactly. we have to get to my my favorite flavonoid source, which isn't a fruit or vegetable. You know what I'm thinking of? What are you thinking of? Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate. <laughs> is, is that on your list? Uh, dark chocolate is a lot, right up there with wine. Okay. So they're processed, yeah. obviously, unless you're making your own chocolate. So you still want to have as, as few chemicals in it as possible. Uh, and wine Correct. too, you know, other than sodium nitrite, you know, you got to find organic winemakers, I guess. And that's, that's something I have to look for around here. Yeah. But, that's, yeah. That's, that's a tough one. Okay. That's, yeah. that's a tough but you're still going to get some benefit from, from wine with sodium nitrite. It's just not as much as organic wine. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just curious. Yeah. And, Makes sense. And like I said, um, sometimes I'll, I'll, uh, I think I mentioned this to you before. I have like a little wand that I sometimes carry in my purse, and if I'm out and there's a particular wine that I know I like, I'll put that little stirrer in my wine. It looks like a tea bag, and it removes um, a lot of the phosphates and some of the other stuff out. So I'm still enjoying the wine. There's still alcohol in the wine, but I'm mm-hmm. um, not getting the stuff that would cause you to have a headache afterwards. You, you have know, a wine so wand? Called... <laughs> yeah, it's really? called a wine wand. It, What's yeah, it called? It cleans up the wine. Oh, that'd be, that'd be better than trying to buy organic. Where, where do I get a wine wand? Is, is, is it a mail order thing, or where Anywhere. do you find them? I just get it either at Total Wine or online. What? It's yeah. called it's a wine like a wand? A, wine, wine wand. It's like a tea bag on a, on a stick, and you put it in there for like five minutes, and it soaks up all the, the tannins and all, all the things that would give you the hangover in, in the morning. You know what I mean? It oh. removes the sulfate and the histamine. Interesting. So that's like uh, they're pure wine wands. The right. pure wine wand. Yep. Wine wand. When you said wand, I'm thinking Harry Potter. I'm wondering if you're like waving stuff over over wine bottles and casting spells, <laughs> and who knows, who knows what you do. I was just curious. It's a wine wand. All right, you know, names have a, have a meaning. Um, one person in a bar a long time ago showed me. He was from Germany, and he was talking about the beer, an American beer. He called it chemical beer. He says, let me show you, because <laughs> in, in Germany, and I imagine, I don't know if uh, Marcos, uh, I think Marcos still on the Netherlands, but I think, that, I wonder if they have the same purity standards. I imagine they do. That European beer, it can only be water, uh, hops, malt, and barley. That's it. That's all you get. And uh, in the, the standards for American beer, you know, are just horrible. <laughs> Glycerin, all kinds oh, of other yeah. chemicals are in it. And so what he did was he took a bottle of beer, American beer, and he says, watch this. And he stuck it into a glass of water. And you could actually see the glycerin falling out you know, from the wine into the glass and like waves and, you know, you just watch it, you know, just pouring out of the, the, the beer. He says, yeah, when we get all your chemicals out, then I'll drink it. <laughs> it was really yeah. interesting. I'd never seen that before, but yeah, I was like, okay. I'm not a big American beer fan anyway because of the chemicals, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I like the pure stuff better. Yeah, mm, interesting. Except for Anchorstein, exactly. that's pretty good. Yeah, it's from San Francisco. Yep. A couple yeah. good things, good know, things in San Francisco. Sourdough bread. Yeah, sourdough bread and... Uh, yeah. Um, Anchorstein beer. That's about it. Because <laughs> the rest of the city has yeah. got problems. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Well, you know, like for me personally, even like over the past couple of days, you know, I had a glass uh-huh. of red wine and I'm all about having a piece of dark chocolate with my mind, wine. You know, now mm. I buy special 
chocolate because, and take a little, you know. Because um, why chocolate and wine? How come? Just, why together? So well, I don't know. Right combination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you but know it's also dark, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Depending on the kind, it does contain you know two to three times more of the flavonoid-rich cocoa solids compared to Which does? milk chocolate. Oh, the milk chocolate is useless. Yeah, milk chocolate's yeah. got too much sugar. It's, it's garbage. Well, the, yeah. the two commercial ones that I think are, are okay, uh, Ghirardelli and Lintz. And uh, Lintz from Switzerland, uh, Ghirardelli's from San Francisco. In fact, I used to live a mile from the Ghirardelli, the real factory, not, not the one in, in Fisherman's Wharf, where, the one where they actually made the chocolate now. And when they were roasting the cocoa beans, it was terrible. You walk out your door, and all you smell is like cocoa. Oh, I was like, oh, no. So we all, it's like power suggestion, right? It's like when they blow uh, donut aromas outside the bakery. You know, everybody races into right? it. Yeah, same thing, right? So all of a sudden, we get this amazing aroma. I said, oh, it's time to go to the outlet store. <laughs> we all head down to the, the Ghirardelli exactly. outlet store and buy, like, you know, half price all, all our chocolates for the next month. Right. Uh, it's pretty good. Right. It's fascinating. But, right. uh, but that's the thing, that uh, the dark chocolates, the good ones, you know, yeah, they're a little more expensive, yeah. but all the things you're not getting, milk chocolate, sugar, no, no. So what's a good, what's a good ratio for chocolate? I, I'm coming of the opinion that I want at least, like, 85% cocoa. 90, 90, so yeah. maybe like 80 to, 80 yeah. to 90, 95 is a little too high, uh, and below 80, right. you, you kind of get to like the 72, it's too, it's too sweet. So I'm kind of like an right. you know, 80 to 90% person. What do you think? No, I, I, I would agree with that, that statement. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. I know for me personally, um, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I don't really like the taste of dark chocolate. I, you know, our taste buds. You don't? Are, well, my but hold on. My kids okay. like mm-hmm. milk chocolate. I don't do milk chocolate, but I mean, maybe mm. twice a year I'll have something, right? But when I want chocolate, I do do the dark chocolate. I agree with you that 85% or higher is, is better for yeah. all the reasons. And a lot, of the, um, a lot of the flavonoids relate to the production. Flavonoids help produce nitric oxide in the body. So, again, we know nitric oxide goes into the heart, the blood flow, the, all the things. It lowers blood pressure. So that's why I'm saying like all these topics, they kind of go into hand in hand. One creates one. It's like a chain reaction. One mm-hmm. thing creates another, another creates another. So, but with dark chocolate, I can only eat a small little piece and I can only eat it when I'm having a glass of wine because then it, the combination for me tastes good. You know, um, I no, have okay. <laughs> But, I'll know? tell you what I like. Actually, you're, you're going to die at this. Um, but uh, if you ever have like chocolate, like that, Lint has a has an orange chocolate combo because orange and chocolate is, is an incredible combination. So what I have been known to right. do on occasion is get an orange liqueur. Uh, if I'm if I got tons of money, Grand Marnier. If I don't have quite so have so much Cointreau oh. or, or one of those. Uh, you know, orange liqueurs, or, or if I'm really cheap out of it, you know, orange schnapps or something. But anyway, if you drink, if you just like sip your, you know, your Grand Marnier, you know, and then have a bite of chocolate, it's a great mixture. It's just unbelievable. But so that's, that's my decadent self. Kind of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. uh, Yeah. But here's the weird thing, though. Now, now I got a question because you say that you don't like dark chocolate, you like the milk chocolate. Most younger people like milk chocolate, and it's the older folks, you know, your, your, your educated palate, as it were you know, that will, that wants the dark chocolate. And so I'm curious if this is a genetic kind of thing of, of sweetness that you actually uh, lose a taste for sweetness as you get older, except for me, because I'm the weird kid, right? I'm the kid that couldn't stand soda because I hated the bubbles. Never had soda when I was growing up. Um, even now I don't. I mean, uh, Sprite maybe in the movies. That's about it. But uh, I ate dark chocolate from the age of about 
let me see, I was in Australia, eight, so probably like eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, I discovered dark chocolate. And this is, is, is called men's dark chocolate, man apostrophe S. And it was sort of like the old Playboy thing. And you had this, this silhouette of, a, of, a, of the sophisticated man, you know, with his bar. It was all in silhouette, so it was like, like a cartoon thing. Uh, I forgot the name. I should look up this brand. Anyway, it was really good. I forgot how much, whatever it was, it was really dark chocolate, and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> At like nine years old. Go figure. Uh, so I've always liked dark chocolate, which is weird. But yeah. do, with our genetics, does it make a difference that as people – age, you know, that our, our taste for uh-huh. sweetness changes. You know, I don't know, maybe. Okay. So, you know, I'm curious. Age, you know, for me, like I said, my taste buds do not like dark chocolate, but I eat dark chocolate because I know it's better for me, you know, but I'm one of those weird people that, you know, I, I, I soak down bee pollen because I know it's good for me. I'm not about taste. A lot of people are, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to drink this because it tastes better. You know, it tastes better with the fake sugar in it. It tastes right. it tastes better. You know, uh, uh, yeah, taste is important to me, you know, when it comes to one or mm-hmm. two things. Like I said, I'm, I'm not perfect, you know. So, mm-hmm. but, but if I know it's better for me and I mm-hmm. want it, I, I will make the better alternative and I'll eat a little bit of it, you know, versus me going to get something that's milk chocolate and eat half of the milk chocolate, which I know is really bad for me. I would yeah, rather take, you know, a little piece of dark chocolate with my, with my wine and be just, just content, you know? So well, what, I don't care, but here's I a what if, <laughs> what if you, you took a little spoonful and, and drizzled a little, you know, natural raw honey on your dark chocolate. What I do is I'll take the dark chocolate cause I have little squares of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will dip it in a nut butter or a seed butter, just a little bit, you know, not peanut butter, like hazelnut, uh, but I'll I'll do either, um, no, I do either almond butter, sunflower seed butter, or pumpkin seed butter. You ever had cashew butter? I have. It's amazing. Expensive. Yeah, it's great. The cashews aren't the best for you, but who cares? Like you say, every once in a while, you just got to try it, you know. Um, Yeah. This is fascinating, and I hope people aren't getting too hungry <laughs> listening to us, and they're going to race to their grocery store. Right. Well, maybe you should. Um, are, there, are there certain foods that, that do a lot? You know, I think of called for foods. You know, that because uh, I know when I look up different categories of things, some of the, most of the stuff I eat, salmon, you know, celery, blueberries, strawberries, dates, um, my nut mixture, you know, fruit juices, within reason because we don't want too much sugar, um, eggs, cheese, you know, a little bit of dairy stuff. Uh, it's These things do multiple things. They have flavonoids. They have vitamins. They have minerals. They have, uh, you know, walnuts. It's good for, for brain, you know, function and for growing hair. So is salmon. I mean, who knew? So have you ever put together a list of, like, superfoods that do four or five different things? And don't have I'd so love many to put together effects. a list because yeah. I know a lot of them, you know, on my head. And there's so many because so many different mm-hmm. natural foods have a variety of health benefits. That's why I always go back to for 90% of the population, and there is a part mm-hmm. of the population that this does not work for, but um, the more colors between, you know, squashes and, you know, people think of the basic things. But if you're talking, you can go to leeks, to water chestnuts, to kale, to crucifix vegetables, to star fruits, you know, widen your palate. Yes, it's more costly, but if you Mm -hmm. say pick, I've done this with my daughter. If you go to the store and say, okay, each week we're going to pick a different fruit, Mm -hmm. you know, do a mango, do a papaya, do a star star fruit, 
Um, each week we're going to buy a different vegetable that we've never tried, you know, a rutabaga, just Japanese potatoes, just different items. There's so many things instead of sticking to your mm-hmm. basics mm-hmm. Um, that have so many health benefits as long as you're cleaning them, you know, appropriately. And I would say whether you're buying organic or not, all of your fruits and vegetables should be washed with vinegar and or baking soda, all of them, right. period. Okay. Or, like I said, um, saved. You know, if you have a stringy vegetable or fruit or something, always always save, save them. Um, mm-hmm. For me, like I mentioned, one of the more challenging things to clean is lettuce and spinach of any kind. You know, but hmm. I still do the same thing. You know, put it in water with baking soda or vinegar. And then if you have right. a salad spinner, you've got to spin it. you got to pat the leaves because you don't want a watery salad or a watery, you know, that's just disgusting. So it takes, it takes time to make sure that you're cleaning up your food as best as you possibly can, you know. And most people, we're, we're in a society where, and I mean, including myself when it comes to some, some things. Everybody wants stuff on demand, like now, right now. Why mm-hmm. do you think people shop at Amazon for next day delivery or 48-hour hour delivery, <laughs> you know? Right or, uh, I want it yesterday. So yeah. we, Well, that's what I was asking about convenience. Our, you know, because yeah, that's what well, I about convenience. Words, food, yeah, go ahead. I think we have to do the same, the hmm. same thing, is treat it in such a way to where if we want it to benefit our body, to its max mm-hmm. with what we are working with. I mean, we have to go buy food or grow it ourselves, and you still need to clean it, right? Even if you have your own garden, you know, you still have the air pollution. You still got the rain. You still got the smoke. You still got the birds peeing and pooping. I mean, you still got all that stuff, right? So mm-hmm. you have to still clean, clean everything. Um, and like I said, I know so many people, you know, and I mean, it's not killed anybody yet, right? Your great-grandmother will tell you that. Like, if you pick a tomato off the vine from your backyard and eat it, is it going to kill you? No. You know, and so doing those things every once in a while, no big deal. But I'm just saying, on a routine basis, you should be cleaning all your fruits and vegetables, but being more aware of what are on the dirty dozen that are more porous. And like you said, with avocados, making sure you wash them because that knife is going through that thick skin. So if it's coming from Mexico and it's got wax or it's been sprayed, you're taking whatever that is. And that's why I'm trying to think. There was, maybe a couple of years ago, wasn't there some sort of a breakout from avocados? Um, I, I swear there was. I just can't remember specifically. No, what, what there was. was. Uh, <laughs> avocados are interesting. Excuse me, are interesting. I actually did a study because there was a, a shortage. There was a plan shortage. I think there was a tariff that was going to be put on them. And so the avocado lobby went crazy. Avocados are so popular because of the Mexican restaurants, because of guacamole. And I just like them just, I like them just raw. Uh, some people put like salad dressing in the middle when they take the pit out. You know, uh, people do all kinds of things. Ranch, I like Thousand Island. Salt and pepper on them. Well, there you go. See, I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't like salt and pepper. Um, so that's yeah, that's the difference. But anyway, I just eat them raw. But the thing is that yeah, the, the avocado here, lobby is a huge a lobby. Uh, it's a huge lobby. It's ahead. very powerful. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And they said uh, so they got anyway. their tariffs taken yeah. off. That's how powerful they were. <laughs> they went to Congress and said, "Up, oh, yeah. sorry, you can't do that." You know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, I mean, you know, going into these summer summer months, mm-hmm. I, I hope that people will expand their wings a little bit, try maybe a fruit and vegetable they haven't tried before, go to farmer's market, um, expand the color of the rainbow that they, they purchase in their grocery cart and put on their plate of food. You know, you've got, a, you've got grill season coming up, you know, for people who haven't been able to grill over, over the winter months. And like I said, you can grill 
romaine lettuce. You can grill broccoli. You can grill peas. Well, that's interesting. You can grill. You can grill just about anything. Not grapes and strawberries. I would not be. You know. You can but grill. But doesn't apples. that take some of the you nutrition out apples. by grilling it? Doesn't that take some Pardon of the nutrition me? out? Doesn't that take some of the nutrition it out? It depends. It depends um, on what you're grilling it on and with. But you know, the whole point is giving yourself a variety of the way to do certain things. There's so many good things that bring out the juices, and sometimes they'll bring out more vitamin texture in a grill, even with squashes and things like that. It's amazing. And leeks are amazing Mm -hmm. to grill. You You have skewers that you can cut up all kinds of veggies and put on your skewers to grill. Um, So, you know, that's that's kind of where where I stand with all that. Yeah. Let me, uh, I don't even know if you actually mentioned or listed the Dirty Dozen, so we've we got to do that. Um, but also, let's, let's take colors again, because you mentioned that a few times. If someone has a red pepper, a green pepper, and an orange pepper, is there any difference between them, even though, with the different colors? Because they're all peppers. I don't think so. Okay. No, not really. All right. Uh, not all really. Right. They all That's bring, that. you know, the same, same yeah. nutritional value. But even like with peppers, sometimes, not all the mm-hmm. time, just depends, you know, how motivated I am. I'll take right. the skin off of them, you know, because oh, sometimes I just you are motivated. Inner, inner, the inner meat of them. Because sometimes for me, that skin is too, too uh, like chewy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even with okay. plain, unless I'm grilling them. But yeah, it just uh, in regards to that, that's kind of whatever trips your trigger. Just like when I said cleaning <laughs> off the skin of the apple. If you prefer to do that, do that. Just know you're going to lose a little bit of the vitamins, but it doesn't. You know, it doesn't matter. That's an easy way to get the the wax and things like that off. So, either way, if you're I don't like apple expanding, skin. It's like chalk, yeah, chalk nails. It's like nails on a chalkboard. It just makes me feel weird. <laughs> I do that, that kind of strange. Yeah, I don't like. I don't like. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, what is the dirty dozen? We've got like nine minutes left. <laughs> what, what exactly is the dirty dozen? Have we listed them yet? From one to twelve or twelve to one? We have listed quite a few of them, but well, I was, can go through. The, is the, there an order the, of the, best to worst or worst to best, or, or how do we arrange these? Well, like I said, the, the worst are the, 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 the strawberries, the spinach, the kale, peaches, pears, nectarines, apples, grapes, the peppers, cherries, blue, blueberries, green beans. I mean, this are, but think, think, when you're thinking of the dirty dozen, think of the thickness or the thinness of the outer layer or anything that oh, okay. is porous. Anything right. that is porous, mm-hmm. that it can be. So, I mean, that makes pretty much sense. Just like I mentioned, you know, several times with the avocados and apples. Well, I'm sorry, av- avocados and you know, pineapples have a thick, thick skin. Um, bananas, even though their skin is thicker, you still want to wash them. But if you don't, it's not as important as it is for the ones that are more more porous. Because like with the the outside of the pineapple, you can actually do things with most people. If you buy a fresh pineapple, a whole pineapple not canned mm-hmm. pineapple size, and you have the inside of the pineapple, right? So mm-hmm. odds are the inside those little prickly things, the skin is actually thinner, but you take off enough that you don't have to be as concerned, but those skins you can actually use. So if you spray, spray it and clean it, mm-hmm. you can use that portion that you cut off and make pineapple tea, a pineapple broth. Like there's so many good nutrients in it, but I wouldn't be doing that unless I cleaned it, even though it's considered to be a cleaner food item versus the dirty dozen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, anything that's porous or thin-skinned, 
um, like if you think of a watermelon and cantaloupe and all those things, you don't have to worry about, you know, any of that. Um, but Okay. That sounds good. I actually don't have any more questions. I think we I think we covered this pretty well. But uh, I, I want to get into more summertime stuff, you know, maybe for next week, summer nutrition. You know, are there foods that help you with sunburn or, or make you more sun resistant? Uh, are there bug resistant foods? I mean, are there, are there certain blood types that the bugs are more attracted to? I, I got all kinds of questions for you. <laughs> that should be fun. Yeah, and we'll have to get into grounding next week because grounding is, like I said, a big, a big thing that we need to be doing all year long, but especially benefits, uh, you know, throughout the summertime. Okay, what is that in, in a quick synopsis? So we'll sort of tease people for next week, and we we'll go, oh, grounding! I remember that they talked about it last week. Well, what's grounding? It's basically walking around inside and outside barefoot, you know, and really grounding yourself. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, um, which mm-hmm. I don't want to go down this road now, but we talked about you know, a, a lot of frequencies, a lot of things coming from the earth. So mm-hmm. it, it, when you're walking barefoot outside, the grounding helps to neutralize free radical toxins in your body because of electrons. So mm-hmm. we'll, we will get into all that, you know, next week. And I've had to be very diligent about that, you know, because I have two little puppies and I think about everything that's out there and getting stuff on my feet and I walk mm-hmm. around my house barefoot all the time, and then I would hear, you know, walking around bare feet, you lose the arch in your foot, you know. I mean, so people can, um, I think, uh, uh, debunk that and give reasons why to ground and why not to ground. But right. grounding is a much better thing. And I personally, like I said, I have had to be a lot more diligent in that just because my mind is like, oh, my gosh, you know, what if I get a splinter? What if I put something in my foot? What if I step on dog poop? What if I this? What if I that? You know what I mean? But well, like, like worms I, and parasites I, and things in the soil, too. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Right, right. So, again, I think there are arguments for, for both sides. But I would say that there are much more benefits to grounding than the potential da- downside. And so that's a really big thing to consider during these warmer summer months. So that would be something to maybe get into more detail about next week and maybe go into some more of the questions from a uh, food perspective. That sounds good. What's that in the background? Yeah. I, hear, I, hear, I hear jingling or something. I just, yeah, wind I just chimes. stepped outside and I've got a bunch of wind chimes outside. Ooh, you should record those and play in the beginning of the, the show <laughs> or beginning of your report. Uh-huh. I'll try yeah. I'll try and get you for One of the things I've discovered is that you can't, once you, you mix down a report, I can't go back in and, and just, you know, change like the last little bit of it. Once it's made, it's made. Um, and so I just have to make a new one. <laughs> so this is going to be kind of fun. I can uh, do it before I, before I, I shut the computer down. But once I've done that, it, it, I don't know where these disappear, but they go, all these ones that I make disappear somewhere. So I put them on my, my music folder and I, I've got the old ones, you know, okay. on, on the show here, but I'll, I'll make a new one, you know, so it's, uh, it actually is your name. It'll be the same information because I really like that opening. Oh, that's kind of fun, but all right. Yeah, so any, any, any tips? Yeah, well, thank you. Any tips for this week? And then we'll, uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll shut down for it until tomorrow because it's pretty much the end of the show anyway. We've got like three minutes. Yeah. Any other wise words yeah, of wisdom? Um, um, nope, other than what I said, you know, we're getting to the beginning of, of summer. I think June 20th maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's 21st. But, you know, we're in, I always in, thought it was 21st, I but, would, you know. Maybe, we'll maybe. We'll ask a pagan. Ask I mean, pagan. I know, you know, where they you're know. located. I know where I'm located. And I would say, Wherever you're located, you know, start trying to find some fresh stuff. I mean, I would say that would be the number one tip. Try to get away from grocery stores. Keep on the outside of the aisles if you need to. Go to your farmer's market. The more colorful and fresh your food is, 
the better. And I would encourage everybody to not only wash the dirty dozen, but to wash everything, you know, um, that you, that you are getting and experiment, experiment and have fun. You know, if you've never had grilled pineapple, do, do some grilled pineapple because it's just about real. It's just about consuming better things for your body, right? Whether you eat it raw, whether you eat it boiled, whether you eat it, you know, grilled, it, it, now is the time of year to experiment with a lot of colors of the rainbow and experience new flavors, new textures, and maybe some items that you've never tried before. Try a star fruit. If you like it, buy more of it. If you don't, don't. Um, and keep in mind, investing in food is investing mm-hmm. in your health. So if you can yep. make sacrifices, and yes, buy those organic strawberries because they are on the top of the dirty dozen, you know, list. Push, you know, reallocate your your money so that you can spend more money on good food, clean food, cleaner, I shouldn't say clean, cleaner mm-hmm. food, best for you food, you know, and make those sacrifices that are hopefully going to benefit your body more, you know. So that's about it. And like I said, if anybody wants to contact me, they can reach me at h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. That's h2owellnessnetwork at gmail.com. Um, right now, I am scheduling out for clients till the end of July, and I am still offering all of the testing at a discount as far as the hormone testing and the hair mineral analysis at a discount. So if anybody is interested, they can reach out for more information. Sounds good. Wow. Thank you. Can't wait for next week. It's going to be fun. All these cool things for all of us. You're welcome. I'll see if I can get you a theme by next week. Have a great rest of your week, and I will talk with you soon. Sounds good. Thank you, CJ. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye. All right. Bye now. So the only thing left to do really is just uh, give our websites because I've played all the things I have to play. Uh, and uh, we got um, thanks to my live chat people. It was a really interesting discussion today. Uh, even when I disagreed, still, still was interesting. So um, the main website here is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. That's where you find the show. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Uh, my articles are at Greg. That's my 10-second warning. All right, gregpenglis.substack.com. Uh, contributions, give, send, go.com, slash action radio. And uh, what else we got? My uh, public email is greg at writeyourloss.com. It's been fun. So we'll do it again um, tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. We'll see what we can get to. I think I have a guest I want to talk to. Yeah, we do. Jessica Rivera is going to join us tomorrow in the 8 o'clock hour. So that should be very, very cool. And I'll contact her and see what's going on uh, as far as that goes. But uh, thank you for listening. Please share the show. Please share the bills. And uh, otherwise, we ain't going to change anything, and we need to change up the things. Um, yep, yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> 7 a.m. tomorrow. Talk to you then. Central time. Thank you.